1: This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. <sighs>
2: everyone and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 701, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, a beautiful cloudless day in St. Louis. It's great to have the sun up when the show starts at seven o'clock. Michelle, how you doing?
3: You know what, Randy? I'm good And the sky while the sun is coming up on the bottom is yellow is a great shade of blue it's a great great shade of blue to celebrate another blues victory
2: hashtag lgb i do want everybody to know the bulletin apparently official i learned this literally in the minute before we came (laughs) on the air that uh the actress dakota johnson is with chris
3: martin from coldplay correct and they're living together i think so yes
2: okay Speaking of Dakotas, how about Dakota Joshua of your St. Louis Blues?
3: That's the one we want to pay attention to. Dakota Joshua, what a debut.
2: If you had to go to bed, you might not know it, but the Blues did come away with a 5-4 victory last night in Anaheim. And Dakota Joshua made his NHL debut. The... Ducks scored first, Isaac Lundstrom scoring at the 5.04 mark of the first period, but in the final minute of the first, Jordan Cairo on a feed from Ryan O'Reilly ties the game at one. Then in the second period, David Perron his seventh, Zach Sanford his fifth, and then at the 1258 mark of that second period. Blues
4: bring it in on the back end. Shot by Gibson, rebound, he
1: score! Dakota Joshua, his first goal in the National Hockey League. He drives the net, and he gives the Blues a 4-1 lead.
2: There you go, Mom. First goal in his first game. He's
3: a St. Louis Blue. We said, Randy, the Blues were going to have to get some production from some unexpected Mm -hmm. sources while they had so much (laughs) top-tier talent out. And I'm thinking this certainly applies, but congratulations to Dakota Joshua. What an exciting... You couldn't have written it up any better, you know, in his debut for him to get a goal. But... I loved the goal because it was him being in the right place at the right time, getting in front of the net. He didn't have to do anything spectacular and take our breath away. It was just him playing smart hockey. It was a Patrick
2: Maroon goal where you just go to the net and just let the puck bounce off of you. Keith Kachuk scored 534 goals in the NHL. Maybe 100 of them came that way. Just get in the way of the puck and have it deflect into the goal.
3: And isn't that something we've been saying the Blues need to do is generate more traffic in front of the net and get some of those lucky bounce goals? Definitely.
2: Well, that wasn't the game, though. Even though it was 4-1, Lundestrom scores a couple of third-period goals for Anaheim, including 34 seconds into the period. So it's a 4-3 game. But with the Blues on the – with with the empty net, Zach Sanford, his second of the game, made it 5-3. Ryan Getzlaff scoring with a minute left, 5-4. Some tension at the end, but that happens with Blues hockey when you have one-goal games. So (laughs) I I just want you to know – I know so much about hockey and what I'm talking about Uh, with the blues in the midst of that three game losing streak. I said, Hey, Michelle, here's what's got to happen. They got to win two one. They got to win one nothing. (laughs) So they've won seven to six and five to four.
3: Of course. Of course. (laughs) I thought the same thing. We were thinking the blues might win one to nothing. They might squeak out some wins and it turns out that we were wrong, but they're getting goals from, from Sanford, Cairo, you know, David, our guy, David Perron, obviously mm-hmm. Joshua there, Marco Scandella. They're getting goals and contributions from everyone on this team. These past two wins, especially have been real team efforts for the blues.
2: Craig Bruby on um, the rookie who scored his first NHL goal. Yeah, he, he, I thought he did a good job tonight. Um, his first game. I thought uh, he skated and got on top of things. Um, you know, he, he seems like he's got some pretty good intelligence. Uh, when I, you know, out there on the ice, um, did a good job playing center, um, you know, went to the net and a goal, went off him and went in, but uh, good job by Clifford throwing that puck off the net and he, him going to the net. So he did a real good job I'm very happy for him and proud of him uh, to come in there and get a goal in his first game in the NHL. uh that's a huge thing for a young kid like that. And we talked about it, Joshua going to the net to get that goal.
1: Yeah, right in the the midsection. I'm not. Uh, I'm not too sure. It all happened really fast, but uh, just a nice, a uh, nice greasy go to the net goal.
2: That's why those shorts are padded. <laughs> we'll take a
3: nice, greasy go to the net goal anytime. <laughs> hey,
2: that's how you win come playoff time. Oh, and yeah. the Blues, they've been missing that guy for a long time. The the big, rugged guy that's willing to go in there on a regular basis. There are players that will go to the net, and you don't, you don't want to disparage anybody. But some people are just built for that job.
3: Absolutely. And the Blues have been lacking that for a little bit. So it's nice to see that maybe he's someone that can ascend to fill that role.
2: Now, Everything wasn't silky smooth for Dakota Joshua before the game even started. He had some issues.
1: Uh, Yeah, somebody uh, somebody hit the helmet there and uh, went no bucket for the for the uh, warm up.
2: Somebody hit his helmet.
1: Who who would do that? DP had a big smile on his face. So I think uh, if I had to name a culprit, he'd be at the top of the list.
3: He had to go no bucket because our guy French toast or Mr. Overtime, excuse me, (laughs) stole his helmet. But I think that's a a nice little fun way to initiate him, make him feel like he's part of the team. Definitely lighthearted.
2: Yeah. Now David Perron has been through it before with a lot of players who experienced their NHL debut.
1: I'm extremely happy for him. Uh, Just again, I I brought it up. I don't know if you heard, but just to have him uh, in the locker room kind of a little bit in front of me across and uh just kind of, I could feel the nerves that he had, and uh, just the excitement. Probably his parents watching, uh, buddies, all that stuff. Uh, just, it's a great moment for him. We're extremely proud of him, and to get a goal, uh, it's is very special. Brought a lot of energy for us. I thought he was pretty sound defensively too, for, for a guy that's playing his first game. Um, I thought his line mates a great job also to support him. Uh, We know what we get out of Cliffy, Mac, uh, play hard. They're fast on the puck. And uh, I think he he brings uh, a lot of good stuff uh, as well himself.
3: I think it was two weeks ago when we spoke to David Perron. He talked about how different things were now when young guys come to the team as opposed to when he Mm -hmm. was first coming in. And I think what we just heard from him illustrates everything that he was saying then that they want these young guys to come in and immediately feel like they're part of the locker room. They want them to feel that inclusivity and the fact that it's, It's him talking to him before the game, understanding what this young player is going through from a mental standpoint in his debut that all of his friends and family are watching. He's probably nervous and taking the time to loosen him up a little bit by stealing the helmet or letting him know, hey, we're proud of you. Great job. You're you're part of this team. You're you're welcome here. Mm -hmm. I think that's great.
2: And the Blues are literally missing half of their regular forwards. (laughs) It's crazy. So they're going to need people like Dakota Joshua to step up and you get a couple of goals out of Zach Sanford who now has six in his last eight games you're getting those young players that you need to produce to do so and Michelle the Blues at this moment still second in points in the Honda Western Conference however they are fourth in winning percentage at 12-8-2 Vegas Minnesota and Colorado are all ahead of the Blues in winning percentage so they just got to keep winning. Keep putting points on the board, squirreling them away until you start getting players back.
3: Sounds so easy. Just keep winning games.
2: Yeah, and by the <laughs> way, Vladimir Teresenko is the closest to coming back, and apparently nobody else among the forwards is even really close to returning.
3: Which... Great news on Vladdy. not so great about everybody else.
2: No, uh, and we'll hear more about that at eight fifteen. Meanwhile, the Cardinals didn't have a game yesterday. They do have a game today down in Florida, but there was throwing on the side. Jordan Hicks threw on the side. Andrew Miller threw on the side. As a matter of fact, Miller got to see Hicks throwing. As for
5: watching Hicksy coming after me, it's a little demoralizing because he looked incredible. <laughs> uh,
4: it's uh, exciting to see him back out there. I will you know. Talked to him you know since we've been back here in particular
5: and. You know he, he's put in a lot of hard work, so it's uh it's gotta feel good for him to get out there and uh, you know face hitters and, and, and see positive results.
2: That's great to hear. That he he a veteran like Andrew Miller is as impressed with Jordan Hicks as he is.
3: Jordan Hicks is so good. Early in spring training that he's demoralizing his teammates. <laughs> and, and
2: a guy who at one time threw 98, 99 miles an hour. Yeah. So, but oops. that's
3: great news for us, though, Yay. to think that Jordan Hicks is already in, in impressive form.
2: Yep. And we have Dylan Carlson coming up here in about five minutes here on 101 ESPN. A couple of other notes from yesterday. Kind of a surprise. We didn't talk about J.J. Watt and the Arizona Cardinals, but J.J. tweeted yesterday. He broke the story that he was signing with the Arizona Cardinals.
3: Did you see everything that was going on with the Peloton? So no. Allegedly, there was a, a Peloton account that was supposed to be J.J. Watt that changed the bio and mentioned places where he might go. It turns out that it was not J.J. Watt. He tweets, stop it. I don't even own a bike. And then he tweets the picture of himself wearing an Arizona Cardinal <laughs> shirt in true J.J. Watt form, by the way, working out. Right. And he says, source me. <laughs> so I think after all the Peloton, um, the, the everyone was talking about potential teams. He's like, you know what? Enough. I'm just going to announce this myself.
2: it. And, and Interestingly, I didn't realize Chandler Jones has been as good as he has, but those two are among the top four active sack leaders, and 97 for Jones, 95.5 for J.J., despite all the time that he's missed since 2015. Those are one-two in the league in sacks for Arizona now since 2015.
3: I think that's a good fit for him there. I do too. And if you're Russell Wilson and you're in Seattle and you think you get hit too much...
2: Yeah, well, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to yeah. happen now, especially
3: yeah. more when you play Arizona. Ma-
2: Matthew Stafford, you better be pretty tough.
3: That's right. But the thing with Arizona that we saw down the stretch is not necessarily their their defense. It was their offense.
2: And uh, so we'll... Keep an eye on uh, what happens with J.J. Watt there. Uh, last night, college basketball. SLU beats UMass 78-57 on senior night. Illinois moves up to number four in the AP Top 25, ILL. INI, and, and Mizzou falls out of the Top 25. Dylan Carlson, Cardinal outfielder next with Carricker and Smallman on
1: 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Michelle Smallman, Randy Character. It is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Great to have you with us and great to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line where Cardinal outfielder Dylan Carlson is standing by from Jupiter. Dylan, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh we we always
2: enjoy talking to you and I want to start with this because I know you've talked about this ad nauseum since the end of the season, but it looked to me like when you came up for the second time last year, like you felt like something clicked and maybe you belonged. Is that an accurate assessment? Did did you get a different feeling when you came up for the the second part in the, the end of the season in the playoffs?
4: Uh no doubt. Um I was able to, you know, just kind of take some time to regroup there and it just allowed me to you know get that confidence build it back up and just you know really be able to analyze and take a deep breath and figure out figure out the things that worked for me and the things that didn't work for me and you know luckily for me um I was just able to come back and play my game and you know the guys in the clubhouse had my back as well as the coaching staff and it really uh it really helped me a ton
3: Dylan what was the biggest adjustment you made that second time around
4: just, you know, believing in myself, I really uh, just felt like I did a better job of slowing the game down, you know, being able to, you know, kind of play play the game I've always, play the way I've always played, opposed to, you know, just letting the game speed up and, you know, kind of being out of control and, you know, playing on your heels, opposed to being the one doing the, doing the damage. So for me, um, you know, I just was able to kind of just control my emotions and play and, just play the way I've always played.
2: Dylan Carlson is a switch hitter. And, and I'm always intrigued by sw- switch hitters, number one, because I like to know which side you work the hardest on. And do you go on s- in slumps like from the left side, but you're fine from the right side or vice versa?
4: Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a lot a lot to switch hitting. Uh, for me personally, um, I'm a natural right-handed hitter, but I've gotten so many more at-bats left-handed over the years, just playing baseball, you know, a lot more right-handed dominant pitching in the game. And um, for me, uh, you know, I really focus on both sides. I try to do it equally. Um, you know, obviously it's hard with, uh, like I said, facing a lot of righties and hitting left a lot. So uh, for me to keep that right-handed swing sharp, I really try to do a lot of uh, extra work on the cages or I'll try to jump in off a left-handed pitcher anytime we have a guy in the backfield throwing or something, just just to stay sharp and, uh, you know, really really uh, get the reps in.
2: And how old were you when you you became a switch hitter? Uh
4: I was about 6 years old. So That's for awesome. me um yeah, yeah, you know, I used to grow up. I'd walk from I'd walk from elementary school to <clears throat> uh high school baseball practice where my dad coached and uh I'd always just hit off the tee to pass the time and um I hit right-handed and then I saw one of the players hitting left-handed so I just turned around and started hitting hitting left-handed also <laughs> and you know, the next time my dad started working with me, he he wasn't going to tell me to stop. So I just kept rolling with it.
3: That's great, Dylan. Well, as you mentioned, your dad is a coach. Is he someone that you still go to when you have questions about the game or want to work through something, or is he strictly dad now, strictly a fan?
4: Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's obviously proud of me and he's my dad. Uh, you know, he still says things here and there, but, uh, he knows I'm in good hands here, and he uh, he just lets me go out and play.
2: Now you played for him on a really good high school team when you were 14 years old. How has playing up in age for all those years benefited you now at the major league level?
4: I really think it just helped me deal with a uh, failure, how to how to handle myself. Um, you know, just just allowed me to play the game the right way and really be able to learn and grow and just just enjoy playing baseball. Uh, you know. Being exposed to the older competition just was always, always a challenge and always fun for me, and I I really found a lot of joy in doing it.
3: Um, D- Dylan, we heard that you're living with Jack Flaherty. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, so I want to know about Dylan Carlson and Jack Flaherty, the roommates. Who's the better roommate here? Who's Who's keeping the place clean? <laughs> who's cooking? Give us the scouting report on Jack Flaherty as a roommate. <laughs>
4: uh, Jack, Jack for sure. He, he's doing a lot of. Uh, a lot of the heavy-duty stuff, you know, taking out the garbage, different things like that. Um, but, uh, no, it's, it's been great, uh, you know, being able to, you know, be around someone who's uh, obviously where you want to get to and, you know, just kind of been in my shoes before. It's it's real nice to be around someone like that.
2: Is he we, – we know he's competitive on the field. When you guys are doing anything competitive in your residence, is he competitive? Do you play video games or anything like that, and do, do you get after it?
4: absolutely we we've been playing a lot of uh the nba video game and uh yeah we've we've definitely been uh getting quite competitive in it and you know been giving it been giving it a nice uh a nice uh competition there in that in that game pretty often but uh it's been a lot of fun and i've uh you know i've enjoyed being around them i i would think
2: uh, that with both of you guys if you lose a game you have to play again there's no
4: way that uh, oh that, yeah right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no doubt no doubt we kind of we kind of have to put a limit on it beforehand <laughs> just because we know we'll be there all night if we don't
3: that's amazing well other than jack dylan is there someone in the clubhouse that has become a mentor for you maybe a veteran guy that you really lean on
4: yeah there's there's so many great guys in our clubhouse i mean it's it's hard to just choose just one but i mean you know a guy like carp has been great for me just you know someone to be around kick some ideas off as well as i mean goldie he's been awesome ever since ever since my first big league camp here ever since he was trading over here i mean he's just been awesome for me uh someone i could go to with anything and then you know being able to be around nolan so far has been really awesome guys awesome guy and um you know we have we have so many great guys in there it's hard to just single out just one guy i mean Yachty Yachty's you know you get to be around Yachty and Wayno. it's just a special special time right now to be a Cardinal
2: how cool is it though to be with a bunch of outfielders that are kind of growing in the game together you guys are all pretty young you're you're all rather rather inexperienced at the major league level is that pretty cool to watch Harrison to your right and Tyler O'Neal and Thomas and Williams and and you're all growing together
4: absolutely I mean it's just it's fun every day getting to be around those guys being able to you know just compete and you know, everyone everyone going out there and just you know competing to do their best each and every day. It's fun to watch because we got a lot of talented guys out there. And you know, I've uh, I've been able to learn a lot from all of them. And just you know, like I said, going out there and competing with them's really really been a pleasure.
2: Bader told us he wants to get a uh, a text thread going among the outfielders. <laughs> he said that last week. Has that started mm-hmm. up yet?
4: Uh, nothing yet. I'm sure. I'm sure as uh, games games start rolling here, we'll get some stuff going. Especially you know as more more things start happening in the games, playing amongst each other, we'll, we'll start bouncing ideas off each other. But right now, I mean, we've been able to be around each other uh, a decent bit during our drill work in the outfield and, you know, working with Willie. So we've been able to talk a lot so far in person.
3: You guys need to get that going. I think that that outfield with so many young, fun guys, you guys need a name, a name for the outfield. Randy and I will marinate <laughs> on that for you, Dylan. Don't worry. Uh, Please. But yeah, we will. we'll come up with some ideas. We'll workshop it. But um, last year, Dylan, when you came up, obviously we were in a pandemic, so you didn't really get the full experience with fans at Bush Stadium. But obviously you're a young guy with a lot of talent that Cardinal Nation is really looking at someone that can be a big piece of the puzzle, not only now, but in the future. Is that something that you've been able to really feel the excitement that the fans have
5: have for you uh
4: yeah i mean no doubt the fans in st louis are obviously uh extremely special and you know just do a great job of supporting us so um you know i absolutely feel it i can't wait you know to hopefully hopefully play in front of some of them this year and uh be able to show them what i can do because you know everything i've heard is how how incredible that place is with the fans Okay,
2: uh, Dylan. We're a, a hard-hitting journalistic <laughs> show here, as you can tell. So we need to know this. Okay, the guy that you look to in the outfield to your right, Harrison Bader, or your roommate Jack Flaherty, best dressed among the two.
0: Ooh,
4: ooh, Oof, That's tough. That's tough. Um, man, uh, they both do a great job of, uh, you know, bringing their own flair to it. But um, I, I guess I'd have to say Jack. Um, just. Just because I get to see it more, I guess. Me and Bader kind of come in at different times, but no, uh, they obviously both uh, have their flair and swag to it, and it's awesome to see.
2: Do you want to follow in their footsteps? Are you a stylish guy?
4: Uh, no, I'm not. I'm nothing too crazy like that. You know, I try to try to keep it a little more low key, but uh, you know, I might bust some stuff out here and there.
3: We'll be paying attention to that. Um, Okay, so tell us something about you, Dylan. Outside of baseball, when you have free time, what is something that you enjoy? What's something that you're interested in that is not baseball-related?
4: Interested in that's not baseball-related? Hmm. Huh. Good question. Um, this is, kind of you know, I
2: love
1: hearing
4: this, I, yeah, by I the way,
3: they,
2: they
4: have to think about it.
3: <laughs> Everybody loves that. that yeah, no, think
4: um, of I, I, I try to, I don't do a whole ton. Um, you know, I try to, I watch some shows on Netflix here and there. I try to, you know, really, really focus on, uh, just keeping it chill. Um, I play video games. I like to eat. That's something I like to do a lot. I like food. I'm excited to try some places in St. Louis, hopefully this year. Um, but, yeah, you know, I just, outside of baseball, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty much all baseball. But, you know, outside of it, I read a little bit. And like I said, I play some video games, watch some Netflix. So nothing too crazy.
3: All right, what is the best Netflix show that you've binged recently?
4: I like that uh, Netflix series called um, All American. It's a football one based out of uh, the Los Angeles area. And it's, uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. They got a new season coming out here soon, so I'm eager to watch it.
2: We'll have to check that one out. By the way, if you like Italian food, the best Italian area in the country is The Hill here in St. Louis. A couple of Baseball Hall of Famers grew up there. Yogi Berra and Joe Gargiola. uh, Jack Buck, the former Cardinal broadcaster, lived there. But just remember, and your teammates, people around the organization can tell you, The Hill is the place to go for Italian food.
4: All right. Sounds good. I'll be there.
2: All right. Hey, Dylan, have a great season. Have fun today. I would assume you're in the lineup against the Marlins today, right?
4: Uh, I... I haven't seen it yet, but I don't I don't think so. Not today. Oh,
2: okay. Good. Well, have a great spring. We can't wait to see you here on April 8th. We appreciate you taking some time, and hopefully we can do this again soon.
4: Thank you. I appreciate it. All
2: right, Dylan. Take care. Cardinal switch hitting outfielder Dylan Carlson on 101 ESPN.
3: Who's all baseball all the time. Yeah, he is.
2: <laughs> and uh, I guess maybe Flaherty and Bader with the fashion. It's a matter of taste. I think Harrison is a little bit more contemporary. Jack is a little bit more classic. Uh, you know, Harrison's got the leather jackets going and stuff, and the the stylish jeans. Jack wears a lot of really good looking suits.
3: Harrison's very New York. He's New York City. Yeah,
2: totally. So, and Dylan's just—he's gonna keep it chill.
3: As I'm listening to Dylan Carlson talk, doesn't he sound exactly like what you've heard out of Nolan Arenado, just loving yeah. baseball and not wanting, yeah. or what you've heard out of Paul Goldschmidt, or what you know about Yachty and Bueno yeah. It seems like he is fitting the mold for everything you want out of a future Cardinal star, or maybe current Cardinal star. We'll see how it plays out this season. The fact
2: that he had to put so much thought into what he liked to do outside of baseball. He said it was a good question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: that, that it was something you really had to ponder. That's
2: great. Hey, coming up next, we've got a little game of what What's better? You can get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 and ask Michelle and I and Emily is here.
1: What's better? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle,
2: two quick things before we get to what's better. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. The guy with the deep voice just said they don't hide their feelings, which might hurt yours. I know. Unless you're a Los Angeles Rams fan, have we ever done anything to hurt anybody's feelings in this show? No. No.
3: We are always sunshine lollipops.
2: And if we have the ability to hurt Stan Kroenke's feelings, all the better.
3: I also think if you're still a Rams fan, you are incapable of having hurt feelings because you have so deeply compartmentalized the fact that this team was ripped from our city and that they don't want you to justify you still cheering for them, even though they very blatantly have dissed you that I don't think what we say about the Rams is going to hurt you. Thank
2: you. So I know the guy says it, but... He really doesn't mean it. The other thing is we have the fight (laughs) coming up at 830. If you want to participate in the fight, text the word fight with your name to 65780. Emily will pick out a contestant for today. I'm not guaranteeing anything.
3: I was just going to, you knew where I was going with that. I was going to ask because yesterday you called your shot. I did. I'm not guaranteeing anything. (laughs) Uh,
2: All right. Your text 65780. Emily, what do you got for us?
0: From the 314, what's better? getting a piece of food out from your tooth or getting a pebble out of your shoe
2: oh that's a good one i think for me oh this is really tough because it seems like food between your teeth is more annoying for a longer time but you can't operate with a pebble in your shoe
3: if you've ever been on a run or you've been outside walking and there's a rock in your shoe you know how terrible that is
2: so I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say that getting a pebble out from your shoe is better.
3: I agree, but
2: only by an eyelash.
3: Sometimes it's difficult to get the pebble out of the shoe too. Even yeah. if you take the shoe out and you tip it out and you think it's gone, it's still there.
2: Yeah. Sometimes I have like socks and shoes that feel like they just have a pebble in them. <laughs> yeah.
0: From the six one eight, what's better, the big basketball tournament that happens this month that I don't think we're allowed to say the name? of? We can. Of? Yeah. It's oh yeah, a, we can. Okay. March Madness. March Madness. Or we'll see. It. Stanley Cup
3: playoffs.
2: I, we've had differing opinions on this. Yeah, I was gonna
3: say, didn't we do this one last week? Because yeah. I say March Madness. We and, we did what the, what the format of. Oh yeah, right. That was different. so. Here's my take on this. If you, if your school or the college basketball team that you cheer for is not in the tournament, you still enjoy watching the tournament. Maybe not with the same intensity, but you're filling out a bracket. Mm-hmm. You, you have an emotional investment in every single game. And a
2: financial investment.
3: And a financial investment in every single game. Whereas in this, with the Stanley Cup playoffs, if your team is in it, especially if they make a deep run, especially if they win the Stanley Cup, nothing better. But if your team's not in it, it's good, but not great. That...
2: Is absolutely correct. You're right. So from that perspective, as if we don't have, uh, as Michael Vick would say, a dog in the fight, then
3: uh, <laughs> Did <we need> that? <laughs> I don't know.
2: Then, from that perspective, yes, it, it is the NCAA tournament. I'll, I'll go with you there.
0: From the 636, what's better? Scandela not missing a shift after losing two teeth or Joshua scoring his first NHL goal in his NHL debut?
2: Joshua scoring the goal because that'll only happen once for him. Scandella can get his teeth knocked out multiple times and then keep playing.
3: But with all due respect, Joshua's going to score a lot of goals in his life. And that's amazing. To be able to lose multiple teeth after a stick to the face and not miss a beat, not miss a minute of action. I'm going with that. Hockey
2: players are tough. That happens all the time.
3: What is it about hockey? players? They are a different breed, Randy. Their DNA is different because... Baseball players are out if they have a blister on their finger. Can you imagine if a baseball player lost multiple teeth during a game? They're out. There's no way.
2: There's only one baseball player that I've ever seen. That's Mike Matheny. And you can find it on YouTube. But Mike Matheny got hit in the face by a pitched ball. Didn't even go down and lost teeth. Wow. Now, he didn't go down to first. He had to walk to the dugout. But he exhibited that sort of hockey toughness that it, it seems is only really existent for everybody in hockey players.
3: And they take pride in it, too. They do.
2: And even the skill guys do. It's yes. it's not like it's only the tough, rugged guys. It's the Sidney Crosby's of the world. It's the Tarasenko's of the world that just keep playing when stuff like that
0: happens.
3: Impressive. So I'm going with Scandella losing teeth. From the
0: 636, what's better, dry rub smoked or sauced ribs?
3: Uh I'm going soused because I don't like smoked things. I don't like when things taste like smoke.
2: I'm going to go with the the smoked simply because generally they're more tender and fall off the bone mm. and I prefer that.
0: From the 618, what's better, chocolate or vanilla ice cream? Chocolate. And they they also said
3: great interview. Oh,
2: thanks. Oh, yeah, thanks, thanks Carlson Carlson. was great. Thank you. Uh chocolate.
3: It's the correct answer is vanilla. It's a better vehicle for uh a diverse group of toppings.
2: So when you go to an ice cream store that has 31 flavors and it comes down to, okay, chocolate or vanilla, chocolate or vanilla, you're going vanilla?
3: I wouldn't pick chocolate last. I wouldn't. I, wow. You heard it here first. Chocolate ice cream? Overrated.
2: No, chocolate ice cream
3: rocks. It's overrated. It really isn't. If you get a good vanilla, it's exactly what you need from a foundational standpoint to build upon. Whereas chocolate is just kind of bland. I would go strawberry over chocolate, Randy.
2: Oh, strawberry. If there are 31 choices, we're talking Baskin Robbins here. Strawberry would be my number 32. Whoa. It's the worst
3: over mint chocolate chip, which I also think is overrated. Okay,
2: coffee is the worst.
3: Oh, coffee ice cream is the bomb.
2: No. Yes, it is.
3: Yes it, Have you ever had a good affogato, Randy? Oh, you're not a coffee guy. No. So, yeah, okay, fine. You would not like coffee ice cream.
2: Yeah, but mint chocolate chip is okay. I can, I can deal with that now and then. But yeah, chocolate is where chocolate rocks.
3: <laughs> oh, but if you're having, let's say you want to put Oreo cookies or chocolate chip cookie dough in your ice cream, the vanilla is the right flavor profile to counteract all that to where you can really okay. taste the toppings.
2: Michelle, here's the play. Okay? So what you do is you get some Oberweiss peanut butter and chocolate. You get some of that uh, Hershey's sh- uh, chocolate shell and put that on top. And then just ring the bowl or the cup with uh, Hershey's chocolate sauce. Chocolate, chocolate, chocolate.
3: We're talk- you need to diversify, Randy. And then the peanut diversify butter. Diversify the, pl- the flavor portfolio. Have you ever
2: had the Oberweiss uh, chocolate peanut butter? I have not. You need to try it. But you mentioned
3: Moose Tracks the other day. And boy, Moose did that tracks. That took me back to my youth, Randy.
2: Moose Tracks is great.
3: That was when I was supposed to be in bed and I would get up late and my dad <laughs> would be up watching Sports Center, and I'd be like, can I and I hang and he's like, "Yeah, let's get some moose tracks." And we would sneaky in it. the middle of the night get moose tracks and watch Sports <laughs> nice. Center. And my mom I did not know. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> From the six three six, what's better, spring or fall? Ooh, that is the eternal, the eternal burning question.
2: Okay, for me, it's fall. Me too. And in addition to the weather, and, and as much as I love the NCAA tournament and opening day and the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs is essentially in the fall, in the spring too. Much as I love all of those things. The fact that you have a perfect fall day with the sun shining mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. watch a co- to be at a college football game, to be at game one of the baseball playoffs in October
4: mm-hmm.
2: is and the start of the hockey season. The best days of my life, Michelle, mm-hmm. have been when the Cardinals play a daytime playoff game and then the Blues open their season at night, that doubleheader.
3: It's pretty sweet setup.
2: Doesn't get any better.
3: And even though we love baseball... And we love opening day and hope spring's Mm. eternal. There's a lot of precipitation in spring. Yeah, there is. In the fall, maybe you need a light jacket, maybe a scarf if things get a little crazy. But in the springtime, especially in St. Louis, you never know what you're going to get. It could be 65 degrees one day and then you go into a meeting, you come out and it's monsooning and it's freezing. You never know what's going to happen.
0: From the 314, what's better? Cards adding Arenado or Cubs losing Theo? Well, the Cardinals adding
3: Arenado.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs)
3: It Definitely, is.
2: yeah. Uh, Theo, friendly guy, good person. I'm, I'm sure. Obviously, if you are a, a domestic abuser, you'd love to work for the guy. Uh, but what? Why are you laughing?
3: Of all things that I thought you were going to go with there, that is not what I thought you were oh. going to throw down.
2: Uh, sure, he, he revived and brought championships to Boston and Chicago. He's not a genius. He's not a genius. As a matter of fact, the Cubs would have been better off if they would have replaced Theo Epstein with John Mozeliak. All due respect to Theo. Now, that would have hurt the Cardinals badly. But, uh, yeah, absolutely the Cardinals adding Arenado is better than the Cubs losing Theo.
3: I'm also in the camp of let's worry about us and making yeah. ourselves better and Whatever team you're on, you guys playing to your capabilities. Always keep one eye to your opponent, but a lot of a lot of times, especially in the in the case of the Cardinals, I would rather add talent and take my chances against a team like the Cubs.
2: Can I ask one more question about Theo? When has Theo made a great trade? Theo gave up Glaber Torres to get a half season of uh, Aroldis Auro- Chapman. He obviously tanked and drafted some really good players there. Give him credit for that. When has he made a good trade?
3: Let me pull up the, the history, Randy.
2: Yeah, it's, it, it has not been that impressive. I, I believe he was in charge of the Red Sox when they picked up David Ortiz on waivers from Minnesota. Mm,
3: trading for Jake Arrieta, 2013.
2: Okay, that that was good. Let's see, they got... Traded the, for Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, they gave mm. up Feldman. Uh, what did they give up for Rizzo?
3: Let's see. Yeah, that
2: wasn't much. Okay, so we'll, I'll give him credit for that. He a
3: traded of. Andrew Kashner and an outfield prospect to San Diego for Anthony Rizzo and a pitching prospect. Okay. That one, that yeah. one worked out yeah, for that, him. Yeah,
2: that's a good deal for him. Yeah. And
3: I'll give him that one. Um, let's see. Yeah, Jake Arietta in 2013.
2: It's yeah, Scott Feldman for Arietta and yep. Strope.
3: Yeah, that's right. Uh, Feldman, Clevenger to the Orioles for Arietta, Strope, and Cash. I'd yeah. say those are two pretty strong yeah. ones. That,
2: that worked out. That's kind of like the Cardinals. Uh, it's well. It's not like the. It's like acquiring. Well, not like acquiring Adam Wainwright, but they did a really good job. They they found a guy. I. What would be the the comp there for the Cardinals in, in getting a pitcher who hadn't done anything and then took off? I guess it would be similar to Walt signing uh, Carpenter, because Arietta wasn't as good as Carpenter for as long as Carpenter was. But yeah, I'll, I'll give him credit for those two. But there certainly aren't deals like the Cardinals have made, and that's Mo. But Mo made the Holiday trade and gave up virtually nothing. Obviously, has made the Arenado trade here. Uh, uh, the Cardinals have, over the course of the years, made a lot better deals in their existence since 2003 than Theo has. 2002.
3: But he broke the two biggest curses in sports.
2: He did, or the players did.
3: But he acquired the players.
2: Yeah, he he absolutely did draft them.
3: And he brought in Joe Madden, which I think was a huge piece of that puzzle.
2: Well, the Cardinals brought in Tony Larusa.
3: True, but I'm saying he's he's made moves I mean, that it, have it, led it, to championships. Did,
2: did it require a genius to decide that Joe Madden was a really good manager?
3: Not a, a genius, but he still had to go out there and. and bring him in.
2: So he did have an unlimited budget, which helps. Yeah, that helps. That makes you a lot smarter. That definitely helps. So I'd still, I think we'd both rather have Aronado.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: So, thank you, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, we've got more from the text line with a little game of take it or leave it with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN.
1: We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: Our text line is 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line, if you'd like to participate in Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Michelle, over the years, we have seen numerous NBA players force their way out of their teams onto big market contenders. Kevin Garnett, Paul Allen, we saw Chris Paul do it. We've seen James Harden do it most recently. Paul George, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving. The other night, Bradley Beal set the NBA record for most consecutive losses in 40-point games. The Wizards have lost 11 consecutive games in which Bradley Beal has scored 40 or more points. Yet, he has shown no interest and made no requests to be traded and said he wants to stay with the Wizards. Take it or leave it. You respect him for that.
3: Oh. I want... That is so difficult because I do respect him for honoring the contract and... Being respectful of the fans and the organization, but I gotta, I gotta leave it. I gotta leave it because I want Bradley Beal freed. I want him to be on a contending team. I want those talents to be used in an effort that isn't fruitless. I want him to be on the biggest stage, and I want him to be hoisting hardware, and it's not going to happen where he currently is. It's not going to happen in Washington.
2: It's become standard operating procedure in the NBA, and players know it and teams know it, that that's just the way things work. If a player's not happy or wants to go to a place where he has a, a better opportunity to win, he demands a trade. And pretty much every time, I can't think of a time recently where a team didn't acquiesce and give in to the players' demands. So... Yes, I do respect him. So I'm going to take it that I respect him. But if he would go the other way, the way of Paul George or Kyrie or Anthony Davis, I wouldn't lose respect for him, if that makes sense.
3: Agreed. Uh, By the way, I was reading this morning at NBC Sports. Let me just read you this headline. What needs to happen for Bradley Beal to join Jason Tatum on the Celtics? NBC Sports article right now. So I'm just saying there we go when you love that.
2: Yeah, that'd be great.
3: Two hometown guys, one team.
2: Yeah, that'd be our team. Uh,
3: No questions. No question. But that we love Jason Tatum and we cheer for him. Therefore, we cheer for the Celtics. But it is still kind of weird to cheer for a Boston team. Not going to lie.
2: No, it is. Yeah, no doubt about that.
3: We are ingrained to hate Boston teams. But at least hate them. Red Sox hate them. Yeah,
2: we haven't. And by the way, the Celtics did kind of steal Bill Russell from the St. Louis Hawks. Mm. But since we don't have an NBA team, at least we haven't had the Celtics beating us. Correct. uh, Unless we were around in the 50s, like the Red Sox did and the Patriots did.
3: Right. No, I'm all all for it, but it's still kind of weird.
2: And we beat the Bruins.
3: That's right. But you know, 2013, that World Series. Hmm.
2: Hey, not their fault.
3: (laughs) No. Cardinals beat themselves in that one in a lot of ways, right?
2: Well, they pitched a big pop. They did. You can can blame one guy.
3: That will still be one of those things I look back on and scream at Nancy Kerrigan, Why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't understand it. It's one of the most unbelievable
2: things in the history of sport.
3: It really is. Anyway, speaking of basketball, Randy, I was reading that this super-duper ultra-rare Luka Doncic card, it's a one-of-one. It it features this special NBA logo patch from a game-worn Dallas Dallas Mavericks jersey. It has a signature on it with blue ink, so you're probably thinking, great, awesome, what about it? It just sold, Randy, for $4.6 million. $4.6 million, and this is the new record for the highest price that's ever been paid for a basketball card. Again, one of one. It has the jersey, the signature, all of these things. Either way, take it or leave it, the buyer overpaid.
2: I'll take that. (laughs) This is in my opinion. Now, I guess that buyer is going to have it framed and placed in a prominent spot in their home or office. Yes, it's
3: a collector, and who people are going to say,
2: day. "Hey, where'd you get that?" And they, "Well, I paid four point six million dollars for it." And somebody's going to say, "Are you crazy?" All due respect, it's a piece of paper.
3: There is a lot of things that, if I had if I had unlimited money, that I would spend four point six million dollars yeah. on a basketball card, however rare it is, is not one of them.
2: And it really has to be unlimited too. You have to have like. Steve Ballmer type money, don't you? Yes, ya?
3: you have to already have the super yacht yeah, and several it's, vacation homes. $4.6
2: has to be like a nickel that you leave in the tray at uh, Mobile on the Run or something.
3: Something like that,
0: absolutely. Yeah.
2: Emily, what do you got for us?
0: From the 618, take it or leave it, the infield gets at least 90 home runs this year.
2: Okay, I'm going to go with uh, 60 from the corners. I'm going to leave it because I don't think the young gets to... I don't think DeYoung and Edmund get
3: to 30 between them. I'm going to leave it two. Even though we have high hopes for a lot of the people in the mix there, based on the Cardinals offensive production for the past two years, I'm going to temper my excitement.
0: From the 314, take it or leave it,
3: John Gant makes the starting rotation. I'm
2: going to leave that. I'm going to leave. Well, coming out of spring training, I'm going to leave it.
3: Exactly. During the year, would love to see him somehow find his way there, and he certainly has the stuff to do it, but I'm going to leave it to at least initially.
0: From the 314, take it or leave it, Jason Tatum is a better St. Louis player than Beal. I'll
2: take that overall, because Jason Tatum is one of the best two-way players. He plays defense too. So I'm going to take that. that. Tatum is better overall. But man, if you had those two together on the same team, That would be dynamic because Bradley Beal's the best scorer in the game right now. Tatum's a better overall player, but Bradley Beal's the best scorer, not only among those two, but in the whole game.
3: It's ridiculous. Yeah, imagine the two of them together. That St. Louis magic.
2: Yeah. Amazing. By the way, for those uh, that haven't really taken a look at the numbers, 2013 World Series, David Ortiz.
3: Brandy, why? I'm just giving it
2: to you here. 11 11 hits and 16 at-bats. Couple of doubles, couple of home runs, six eighty eight, an OPS of one point one eight eight, and uh, in those sixteen at six eighty eight. was his batting average oh in the series, God. and they kept pitching to him.
3: Six eighty eight.
2: Yeah, a uh, couple of homers, six we'll get RBIs. Him next time, will
3: ya? Uh, yeah,
2: will ya? And they did. I think at the end, they they wound up walking it's him. Too
3: late. Runs, too late. 10.
2: Yeah, it was six eighty eight. He went eleven for sixteen, with seven runs scored. Unreal. So,
0: some players don't even have that as their OBP.
2: Right. Exactly.
0: Oh.
3: So, 688
2: Yeah Phenomenal huh Actually I can give you a fun fun fact Is it uh, going to be
3: fun I, I, don't, I don't want it None okay. of this is fun Randy
2: It's not Just so you know um, Yeah
3: it's fun if you're a Boston Red Sox fan It's fun uh, if you're David Ortiz
2: Okay so in that series Ortiz 688 batting average Yeah Yachty 681 OPS
3: Alright well Great now we got to relive that on a Tuesday.
0: I
2: just wanted to give you the numbers.
3: Pain from the
0: 314 eighty eight six eighty eight baddie Yeah.
6: Gosh.
0: From the three one four, take it or leave it. One of O'Neal or Bader is an all-star
3: in the next two years. Oh,
2: easy take, yeah.
3: Take take. Which one? Um, if, you had to, if you had to pick, which one?
2: I'm gonna. I'll go O'Neal because of his power.
3: Yeah, I'll go O'Neal too. From the
0: 314, take it or leave it. The Cardinals will have an all-star outfielder in the next three years. That's the same question. Sorry. Uh, From the 217.
2: But we can put Carlson in there because absolutely Carlson makes an all-star team in the next three years.
0: Definitely. Take it. From the 217, take it or leave it.
3: Wayno becomes your number two if Michaelis goes down.
2: I think Wayno's already ahead of Michaelis.
3: I was going to say, I think Wayno already might be the number two.
2: I've got I would have KK as my oh, nominal yeah, number two but I would think that Buenono starts the second game of the season
3: yes and agreed. if you
2: were going into a playoff series I think it's a coin flip right now it depends on who you're playing between KK and Wayno bueno. that's what I would say
0: from the three one four take it or leave it the red spring training jersey needs to be in the regular season lineup
2: leave it totally leave it. why uh, Number one, because the Cardinals are one of the classic teams that only wear white or gray, mm-hmm. unless there's, like, that special day.
3: Baby blue. Yeah. Powder blue.
2: Uh, right, right. But they they don't play spring training games. Like, there's games where teams, you watch a Twins-Indians game, and they're both wearing navy blue, and it looks like a spring training game. The Cardinals don't play spring training games during the regular season. And I don't want them to start doing that.
3: Yeah, we, we, uh, as sports fans in general, like to pick apart and complain and rate uniforms. Yeah. The birds and the bats, classic. Yeah.
2: The I, old, I'm good yeah. with what they've got. The only two franchises that haven't gone that direction of playing their their spring training unis in the regular season are the Cardinals and the Yankees. Even the Dodgers for a while, and they've gone away from it. But the Dodgers were wearing their Dodger blue. Uh, tops for a while so i like the fact that the cardinals are one of the teams that hasn't done that thanks emily thank you and thanks for your text to the Air comfort service text line 65780 coming up the cardinals announced their plan for the cardinals hall of fame in 2021 we'll bring you that and tell you who we would vote for next on 101 espn
1: we're right back to the carriker and smallman podcast on 101 espn
2: It's 8.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And the Cardinals yesterday announced a change to their process for voting for the Cardinals Hall of Fame in 2021 because they have nominees from last year that haven't been inducted. This year, rather than having seven nominees, they're only going to have five. And rather than voting in two new Cardinal Hall of Famers, they're only going to vote in one. And Michelle, the five people that are on the ballot, and you can go to cardinals.com and vote right now, Steve Carlton, Keith Hernandez, Matt Morris, Edgar Renteria, and Lee Smith. Those are the five nominees for the Cardinal Hall of Fame for 2021. We want people to provide their mic drops with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature, the 101 ESPN app. Who would you vote for for the Cardinals Hall of Fame this year and why? We'll take your text during this segment and then coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, we want to know, know who you would elect to the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Michelle, who would you go with?
3: So every name, Randy, that you mentioned is a great representative of the organization and is a very worthy nominee. But in reading about every one of these players last night, I can't come up with one possible reason why Steve Carlton should not be in the Cardinals Hall of Fame incredible career with the team from 1965 to 1971 he was 77 and 62 3.10 era we know he was a three-time all-star a world series champion he's a baseball hall of famer he was incredible with the cardinals and imagine what he would have been able to do with the team had he not been moved to philadelphia back in the day because of the dispute with gussie bush but i just think that steve carlton more than worthy to be in the cardinals hall of fame and i hope that he gets the red jacket.
2: I agree with you, and let me take a quick look here because people that were with that team and people that were around the team thought that not only him leaving the Cardinals, but going to Philadelphia, and Philadelphia and Pittsburgh dominated the old NL East in the 1970s. The thought process was that the Cardinals, by trading Carlton, cost themselves multiple division titles. When you look at the year after he was traded, so uh, 1972, the Cardinals were terrible. They finished 21 and a half games out 73 and 74. They finished a game and a half out of the playoffs each year. And then uh, they they were distant uh, up until 19. Actually, when Whitey got here in Mm -hmm. 1981, but that's at least a couple of division titles and maybe more because Carlton made such a dramatic difference. Heck the 1972 Phillies. I think they won 57 games, and he won 27 of them. He was just that dominant.
3: He was dominant. He had 66 complete games and 16 shutouts during his 172 starts with the Cardinals. With the
2: Cardinals, yeah. I would actually vote for Keith Hernandez and. My introduction to really good baseball was when Whitey Herzog arrived. And Keith Hernandez was a big part of that team. Before Whitey got here, Hernandez did win a co-MVP in 1979. He and Willie Stargell tied for the award. He was a Cardinal from 1974 to 83. Became the kind of hitter that teams want today, actually. He's a guy that had a great eye. He walked a lot. He In that ballpark, you couldn't hit for power because it was... 414 to dead center field and 385 in the alleys, but hit a ton of doubles, 265 doubles during his career, 299 career average with the Cardinals. And when the Cardinals became really good in 1981 and won the World Series in 1982, I know uh, Whitey talks about how Tommy Herr, and he's not wrong, was kind of the glue physically to that infield. Mm -hmm. But the emotional leader and the... The, the brains of the unit, for lack of a better term, was Keith Hernandez. And I remember because I was working the first base dugout. So for 81, 82, till he gets traded in 83, I'm a Costello usher down by the Cardinal dugout. And the closest player to me is Keith Hernandez. And whenever somebody would get up, not whenever, but many times when somebody would get on base, the Whitey would flash the signs for the defense or the defensive the person who was coordinating the defense would, and Keith would yell into the dugout say, Whitey. And then he'd, you know, he'd flash his glove this way or that way. And he would adjust the infield. And part of what made that infield the best ever was Keith Hernandez's ability in an era in which we didn't shift and move players and scout players an awful lot. He knew where everybody was going to hit the ball. And so uh, I I have an intimate knowledge because I watched it happen of what he did for the Cardinals. But he was a winning player well before the Cardinals started winning. And he's the best defensive first baseman in the history of the game. And that was developed here.
3: Who do you think, which do you think was a worse deal? Moving on from Keith Hernandez or Steve Carlton?
2: I think Carlton was because that was a money deal. And Rick Wise was okay, the guy they got for him. They traded Keith Hernandez in 1983 at the deadline for Neil Allen and Rick Ownby. And the, the feds were after Keith Hernandez. And as it turned out, a couple of years later, he admitted in the Pittsburgh drug trial that he was using cocaine. And the feds here knew it and told the Cardinals, hey, you got to get rid of this guy. And they, they had no choice. They had to. And that's why they moved him on to New York because. If the Cardinals hadn't moved him on and Anheuser-Busch owned the team, they would have suffered the embarrassment of one of their players being taken away in handcuffs.
3: Yeah, you don't mess with the feds.
2: No. Uh-uh. So in terms of the talent, the Hernandez deal was probably worse, but the Cardinals brought on the Carlton thing themselves. At least they didn't bring on the uh the Hernandez thing themselves. Now, the other guys, I think Matt Morris is a really underrated guy in Cardinal history, pitched through a ton of injuries, 101 wins uh, for the Cardinals, a 3.61 ERA, a two-time all-star, and was a horse for the Cardinals. He he was a guy that uh, stepped up big when they had a lot of injuries, especially in the early part of the 2000s. I think if Edgar Renteria would have re-signed with the Cardinals, I was telling you during the break, mm-hmm. he was offered $39 million over four years by the Cardinals in free agency after 2004. And he went to Boston for $40 million over four years for a million dollars more. And Tony La Russa told him during free agency, he said, don't go to Boston. You're going to hate it. The pressure there is ridiculous. They won't like you. You won't like them. He told him that. And Renteria went to anywhere anyway and wound up lasting only one year in boston then he goes to atlanta for a couple years and san francisco for a while and cincinnati bounced around if he would have signed that four-year cardinal d offer and played here for 10 years he would have already been in the cardinal hall of fame
3: i wonder if at the time he thought tony was just saying that you know to to try to convince him to stay but he was right he was actually telling the truth it seems like
2: and then the cardinals go outside david Eckstein. And he winds up being the World Series MVP.
3: Isn't it funny how you take a move like that and you follow the bouncing ball to what it leads for? And obviously in retrospect, great player, Edgar Edgar Renteria. You would have loved to see him stay with the Cardinals. But if it somehow goes down the road to you getting the what turns out to be World Series MVP. All right.
2: And then Edgar wound up winning a World Series MVP with the Giants in Mm -hmm. 2010. And then the other one on the list is Lee Smith, already in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, was only with the Cardinals from 90 through 93, but uh, for a long time was the Cardinals all-time saves leader with 160, pitched great for the Cardinals and pitched in an era in which Anheuser-Busch had checked out. Gussie had died August the 3rd, had no interest in baseball. They didn't really want to bring premier players in, and every time they won a game, he seemed to pitch the ninth inning, and he was great for Whitey for just a little while, and then Joe Torre for the time he was here. I don't know if he'll ever be a red jacket guy. I don't know if he'll ever, if Lee Smith will ever get voted in.
3: I think it's situations like this, when you look at this collective group of players, there's no everybody's a winner. Whoever yep. gets elected in is beneficial for the for the Cardinals Hall of Fame. They've had so many unbelievable players play for this franchise.
2: It is amazing that the Cardinals can continue to do this year after year after year and have so many great players that aren't in the baseball hall of fame but are still great players. Not many franchises can pull this off.
3: Think about the four guys that'll be left off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's all okay. you need to look at.
2: And just take a look at for example, Cincinnati, since they last won the World Series in 1990. And look at the Cardinals' array of players since 1990. So, since 1990, you've had Matt Morris. He was here 97 through 05. You had Renteria, who's on the list. Uh, you have Lee Smith. And then you already had Jim Edmonds. You have Scott Rowland. You have Jason Isringhausen, mm-hmm. the group that's already in the Hall of Fame. And then Uh, another historic franchise like Cincinnati compare it they can't compare to the number of great players the Cardinals have had and that's why especially since 2000 the Cardinals have been to the playoffs and won so much so that's who we have and again we want to hear from you with the mic drop feature who would you vote in and why and coming up in the 9 o'clock hour right off the top of 9 o'clock we will take your texts Uh, Carlton Hernandez Morris Renteria or Smith who would you go with Coming up here on 101 ESPN, Doug Armstrong gave us some insight into the Blues injury situation yesterday. We'll hear that, plus the Blues get another win last night. That's next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Carragher and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Your St. Louis Blues with a 5-4 victory over Anaheim last night at the Pond in Anaheim. Dakota Joshua, his first NHL goal. That made it 4-1 Blues. Zach Sanford had a pair, and the Blues win their second in a row over Anaheim. And, Michelle, the reason that a guy like Dakota Joshua gets the opportunity to play and score his first NHL goal is because the Blues are beat up. They literally have, of their 12 forwards, six of them out. When you think about Tarasenko, who's going to come back, Bozak, Schwartz, uh, now you've lost uh, De La Rose. Uh, Robert Thomas is out. I'm leaving. Oh, Bozak. Uh, Tyler Bozak. You got a bunch of guys out. I'll tell you what. Just in I'll,
3: general? Colton Pareko? Uh
2: I, I was just going with forwards. Oh, okay. But I will let uh, Doug Armstrong tell you what's going on. We'll start with Vladdy. We're hoping
6: uh, and expect he'll return sometime on this trip, which is positive. Robert Thomas will be, and this is all from today, uh, for talk to our medical staff. Robert Thomas will be evaluated in four weeks. Ivan Barbashev will be reevaluated in six weeks. De Rose will be reevaluated in three weeks. Paranko, Bozak, and Schwartz are out indefinitely and we'll update that when they return to practice but that's probably not as ominous as it sounds you know with with the type of injuries they're dealing with upper body injuries i don't really want to get specific you know because i want to protect the players uh, when they return there's not a timeline where I think we know exactly when they're going to be back, and so it could be it could be a week, it could be two weeks, it could be longer, so instead of those other guys, because they're, they're, their injuries are more, you know, direct and, and medical, where you can say, okay, that's the injury, this is the timeline. Uh, the other guys are a little bit different, so we, we're just going to go indefinite on those guys, and obviously, uh, Gunny is uh, gone for the year. So I think that wraps up the injury update on, on where we're at.
2: Okay, so... <laughs> An injury that you really don't know a timeline for and is less direct than other injuries, and it's an upper body injury. Michelle, can you think of injuries that are hard to diagnose and difficult to tell how long a guy is going to be out? Are there a lot of upper body injuries like that?
3: Hmm. No. So
2: they have concussions.
3: Yeah, but we can't say that, I, we, right?
2: We that just <laughs> happened. Yeah, we, hard, we we said Hard
3: it. to diagnose. So, hard to diagnose.
2: And, and like army. And by the way, the other thing he said was we want to protect them when they come back. Of course, back. of course. And Bozak's been out for a while, and the Blues originally said it was just going to be for a couple of weeks. So where does he stand?
6: Well, I, I should, again, he's indefinite because the type of injury he has. Uh, you know, we were hoping he was gonna be playing by now and, and it's just not it's not working out that way. So again, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna say something I can't back up, like uh, I can't guarantee he's gonna stay on this trip. I can't guarantee he's not. I can't guarantee he's gonna skate in two weeks. So uh the closest guy coming back is Tarasenko by a country mile.
3: By a country mile. Also someone will call wedding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Transfer to line two. And the the, the first thing that we heard from Army as he was outlining everything there, the earliest that he had any of the players discuss coming back was three weeks. Aside from Tarasenko. Aside aside from Tarasenko by a country mile. Four weeks, six weeks, three weeks, a handful of out indefinitely and, and out for the years. And he says it's not as ominous as it sounds, but if you're a Blues fan and you're looking at not only the amount of time that is just right now on paper for these guys to be potentially even considered okay to be cleared to come back. And then you look at the names attached to those injuries. It's hard not not to feel a bit overwhelmed or to feel, as he put it, ominous about it.
2: And Michelle, when you think about it, here we are on March uh, 2nd, right? So you've got four weeks this month, and then you've got, and we're thinking six, so the first week of April, second week of April, and then you play. So you get basically two and a half weeks of play mm-hmm. uh, for the, the six-week guys. So maybe the Blues will be at a, at a point where you can have two or three weeks under their belt when they come back and start to get some of these people back. You don't want to get people back just for the playoffs. You want to have them at least gear up and have 10 to 14 days like they would have for a training camp.
3: Exactly. Now, will that happen? Unclear. Because when typically, this is the way I operate, when an organization is saying they're out for about four weeks, about six weeks, I always tack a little bit longer on. I think
2: that's smart to do. (laughs) And it's easier to do when you know what's going on, which the Blues apparently don't with Jaden Schwartz.
6: It happened that game, and it was something that uh, uh, obviously has taken a little bit longer to... Uh, it's, it's a different injury than, than than we are normally seen, and we're trying to get the bottom of it. And it could just be he needs he needs time. But it happened. It wasn't something that he walked into a game with. He he walked into a game and then uh, sustained an injury and came out of the game. Uh, so it was all all uh, around based around one play.
2: So we know nothing ab- about Schwartz. They yeah. know. They admit that they're trying to figure it out. And we, as fans and observers, know nothing.
3: No. And we probably will not will continue to know nothing.
2: No. One other guy is a guy that we talked about last week. And, Michelle, you and I wondered about, with Colton Pareko's back injury, would rest be able to solve what ails him? Can you have that, if it is a herniated disc, will that decrease in swelling enough so that he can come back to play? And the Blues know that there's a chance that Pareko might have to undergo surgery.
6: Uh, I think surgery is the last uh, the last course of action, and we're trying to to, to stay away from that. Uh, but again, uh, I, I really feel like I, I'm not trying to be evasive, guys. I just I don't if, if I knew what it was, if I knew it was a broken bone, or if I knew it was something that I could we could put a timeline on, I would do it for you. It's it's always easier to be straightforward that way. You know, you're not trying to read our minds or, or second guess or think we're trying to pull. Well, I just don't know. I don't want to get in what the injury is, but out of respect for the player, I just don't know the timeline on the injury's return.
2: And my question is, and I've never, uh, at least since I was a little kid, I have not had back issues. Mm-hmm. But everybody I know that has had back issues has wound up having surgery.
3: And they can be recurring.
2: Yeah, they don't go away. Right. I mean, look
1: at Tiger.
3: Right, exactly. And I know that the Blues want to protect the these players, they want to protect Colton Pareko. They don't want to reveal too much. But I do think there's some truth in that and that they don't know. They're, this is a wait and mm-hmm. see type situation. And unfortunately, I think even if you wait and the injury does subside a little bit with a back injury, as you mentioned, anyone who's dealt with back injuries know that that could be something that, that gets reignited. And when you think about a professional athlete and how much a back is the importance of of your back and every movement that you make. That's not something that's an easy fix.
2: Now, the next question is, are the Blues going to be able to tread water and hang in the top four in their division until these guys come back? It helps that Jordan Kyrou has been a revelation. Mm -hmm. They're not where they were at left wing, but Zach Sanford has been playing great lately. So... If you get Tarasenko back and you could have a line of O'Reilly, Cairo, Sanford, and then have another line where you have Braden Shen uh, with uh, Tarasenko, and then you can hopefully mix and match and get some other people to do some things. Sammy Blay has played mm-hmm. better of late. I think you have a chance with your top six to do some damage.
3: They just need to keep doing what they're doing, and that's grinding yeah, out wins right. in any any way, shape, or form.
2: And I, by the way, I missed Hoffman. Oh, yeah. So if you have O'Reilly, Kyrou, Sanford, Shen, Tarasenko, Hoffman, that's a representative top six, and then you just get that grinding out of the rest of the group, and you still have Oscar Sundquist playing, and he, he's pretty good, maybe you can do some things and tread water and, like I say, stay in the top four until the end of the season and then hope that... Your roster is healthy once you start the playoffs.
3: Situations like this tend to be galvanizing for a team in a lot of yeah. ways. When when they look at the names of the guys that are out, they have to carry the torch without them. And we talked about it yesterday. Jordan Bennington seemingly ignited something within this team when he was... Swinging at a, at the opposition on his on his way out, that fire seems to be permeating with the team. But when I when I look at some of the things that we've seen out of the Blues recently, it doesn't matter if they're behind. They they like to to dig out of a hole. It seems like they're never out of any fight. And I just think that this is a team that has a really tough mental makeup Mm -hmm. and the more that they can grind out wins like they did on Saturday and last night, the more that they're going to feel confident in themselves. And the more you're going to have guys like Dakota Joshua. And as you mentioned, Zach Sanford and Jordan Cairo, the more that you have these young guys stepping up, the more confidence they're going to have.
2: Absolutely. And they're, they're getting opportunities, especially on the third and fourth, by the way, like an idiot, uh, I, I didn't mention number fifty seven either. So you have Oh yes, of course. If you have O'Reilly, Kairou, Peron, get Terasenko back, put him with Shen, Hoffman, Sunquist, Blay, Sanford, that's your top nine at the moment. And then slowly but surely you get Bozak back, you get Schwartz back, you got a chance.
3: Yeah, let's not forget number 57. He's our guy joining our
2: guy. us tomorrow. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. So there's your Blues update from Doug Armstrong. Thanks, for, uh, thanks to him for doing that with the media yesterday because he's got a laundry list of things to go through.
3: <laughs> he's it's, dealing with a lot right he, now.
2: He sure is. And the trade deadline is coming up too, although the Blues are probably going to be limited in what they can do at the trade deadline. He did, by the way, we should mention, mention that the Blues have no cap issues whatsoever in bringing Tarasenko back. So that's not going to be a problem.
3: I think most reasonable Blues fans thought it would probably be best to have a lower expectation bar Mm -hmm. for Vladimir Tarasenko in his return. But now with so many of these other guys out, four weeks, six weeks, three weeks, and definitely for the year, the importance of Vladimir Tarasenko's return has been ratcheted up.
2: And, Michelle, the Blues have played 22 games. So they have 32, 42, 52. They have uh, 34 left. If he scores a goal
1: every other game, I'll be happy.
2: No pressure. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> Coming up,
1: we've got the fight for you ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
3: Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 35. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time for the fight. Yesterday, Randy called his shot and he emerged victorious. He says he wasn't going to be so cocky today, which bodes well for our challenger, which is Tim. Good morning, Tim. How are you doing so far today? So
2: far, so good.
3: Well, good to hear. All right, Tim, let's jump right in. Question number one. Happy 39th birthday to Ben Roethlisberger. Where did Big Ben play his college football? Was it Ohio State, Cincinnati, or Miami of Ohio?
2: I'm 39 as well, and I know this is uh, Miami of Ohio.
3: Awesome. In
0: 2017, the Blues traded Yuri Letera and two first-round draft picks to Philadelphia for which player? Zach Sanford, Oscar Sunquist,
3: Braden Shen.
2: I believe that was uh, Braden Shen.
3: Tim, J.J. Watt announced yesterday that he would be signing with the Arizona Cardinals. What NWSL team does his wife Kalia play for? Is the Chicago Red Stars, the Houston Dash, or the Portland Thorns FC?
2: I'm going to go with uh, Proximity here and guess uh, Houston.
0: And which Blues winger had back-to-back 70-plus goal seasons in the early 90s? Was it Rod Brindamore, Brett Hull, or Brendan Shanahan? Um, let's go
2: Brendamore.
3: All right. Let's check our score here. Randy's on his way back in. Tim, you said you're 39. When's your birthday?
2: Uh, it's in November.
3: Nice. Oh, oh Randy, strutting, strutting in today.
2: Uh, I was talking to my oh.
3: Yeah, uh-oh. Tim is right, man. He burst through that door. Uh, I, uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. No,
2: Mike said uh, you're good because I'm, I'm obviously not listening to you, so I, <laughs> I didn't know how good I was if I needed to rush in. No, we were just talking about uh, our friend Alex Ferrario is going to be out for a couple days. And so BK is going to be doing some blues pre, post and uh, between periods. Great
3: news. Yes. Alex Ferrario about to be a new dad. Yeah.
2: Congratulations to Alex.
3: Such an exciting time. All right. Well, Randy, please say hello to your challenger. Tim is with us.
2: Tim, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? Everything's great. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for playing.
3: Brandy, you. happy 39th birthday to Ben Roethlisberger. Big Ben. Big Ben. Where did Big Ben play his college football?
2: I believe he played at uh, the Chris Kerber alma mater, Miami of Ohio.
0: In 2017, the Blues traded Yori Letera and two first-round draft picks to Philadelphia for which player?
2: Uh, it's unbelievable that they were able to trade Yori Letera, and even more unbelievable that they were able to get Braden Shen for him. Pretty good move. Yeah.
3: Pretty, pretty good move.
2: Although Yuri uh, uh, eventually, as it turned out, became an entrepreneur. Allegedly.
3: How so, Randy? Uh, Do you want to elaborate there?
2: Uh, he, he he found some stuff to sell. Oh, okay. On the- might not have been legal, but he was selling it. Well, they were, uh, he wasn't. They were selling it out of his house.
3: Oh, God, I got it, got hmm Brandy, JJ Watt announced yesterday that he would be signing with the Arizona Cardinals. What NWSL team does his wife Kalia play for?
2: Chicago.
0: And which blues winger had back to back 70 plus goal seasons in the early 90s?
2: Hold on. Can you give me that one again?
0: Which
3: blues, blues winger? winger.
2: Had- so that would be like Brett Hall? <laughs>
3: Emily, ring. (laughs) Just go ahead and ring him. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. We have a winner and still champion,
1: Randy Carriker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs.
2: I wanted to make sure that I heard it right. Are you trying to trip me up here? What's,
3: <laughs> what's going on? You mean uh, Brett Hall? <laughs> Got it. Tim, good job, good effort. But Randy did beat you 4-2, to two, as you heard the, the Jack Buck call there. Ben Roethlisberger, it's his 39th birthday, and he played college football at Miami of Ohio. Two fun facts Yeah. on Big Ben today. The Blues traded Yuri LaTera and two first-round draft picks to Philadelphia for Braden Shen back in 2017. J.J. Watt's wife, Kalia, a star in her own right, plays for the Chicago Red Stars. That's the NWSL team that she plays for. And it was Brett Hall, the Blues winger, who had back-to-back 70-plus goal seasons in the early 90s. 86 and 90-91 and 70 and 91-92. Tim, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing.
2: Appreciate it. You guys have a good day. You too, Tim. We appreciate it. Tim with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, former Rams Pro Bowl quarterback Mark Bulger has a new endeavor He's trying to make the 2022 U.S. Olympic team. And Mark will join us next on
1: Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: with Mark Bulger in just a few minutes, the former Rams quarterback. Michelle, this is an interesting story. He is attempting to become a member of the U.S. curling team. He and three other former NFL players are down in Nashville, and they're working at it all the time, trying to become curlers in their post-NFL careers.
3: And all the guys were Pro Bowl selections during their NFL careers, so their name is the All-Pro Curling Team.
2: Uh, Pretty cool. Jared Allen, Mm -hmm. Keith Bullock, Michael Roos, all former... Uh, NFL all pros and now they're going to get the opportunity they hope to do a little bit of... uh Uh, a little bit of curling
3: and we'll talk to Mark about how they got this idea and how it came to fruition but I think it's so cool that this group of guys wanted to do something in their second chapter and they tried to find a sport well they did find a sport that they thought they could be competitive in and they're having some success doing it
2: and it's amazing with Mark because he actually is a great golfer he grew Mm -hmm. up at Oakmont Country Club in Pittsburgh and then when he left St. L- well, when he left football, he did some farming. He's kind of like a Renaissance man. He's finding all kinds of different things to do. Farming, huh? Yeah, he uh, they bought land in southeast Missouri. Nice. And decided, you know what? they and, and his wife is from Sykeston. so they decided, yeah, we'll do some farming. So he's he said he's not really a big farmer, but uh, he, he said the, having the land is good.
3: So from being a Pro Bowl NFL quarterback to a farmer and a curler, you never <laughs> right. know what life yeah. is going to throw at you.
2: And it is amazing, Michelle. And you were talking about this before we came to uh, the the segment, how we talked about him having battered quarterback syndrome. Oh, man. He was a guy, especially, well, even in the time uh, that Mike Martz was here, he took a beating as a member of the Rams.
3: Yeah, let me pull up the numbers on pro football reference. Um so 254 sacks total career but he had one season where he sacked 49 times, 41 times, 37 times, 38 times. He dealt with a lot and one of the questions I want to ask Mark when we do connect with him is I'm curious what his take is on someone like Russell Wilson who also has been sacked a lot in his career and whether that's the, the tipping point or not for him potentially wanting out of Seattle that's certainly what he's saying publicly so when he hears another quarterback talk about having enough and not having enough protection and wanting to get to somewhere where he doesn't have to deal with this as much I, I wonder what somebody like Mark Bulger, who did have to mm-hmm. deal with it all the time in his career what what's his reaction to someone like Russell Wilson
2: and he never complained. He he, he took a beating here and uh, he did become gun shy. But to his credit, he never complained about being hit too much. He never complained about the injuries. He just went out and and kept playing. And it's amazing, Michelle, how the sport has changed. With if a guy wants to get out now, Mark Bulger was. He suffered a lot here. And at the end of his career, he could have easily said after oh seven oh eight, he could have said, uh, hey, get rid of me like Stafford did to the Lions. Mm-hmm. But he, he said, no, I'm going to I'm going to stick with it here.
3: And I, I definitely respect him for that. It's so funny now looking back on things. You you always have a different perspective but imagine being Mark Bulger and dealing what he dealt with, being sacked that many times from a physical standpoint and never complained. He knows that fans are complaining about him or he knows that maybe the media doesn't fully understand the context of everything that he's going through and he never pushes back. I always think if I'm in that position would would I have had the the grace to do that? Because I think I would have showed up to every press conference and been like do you know what it's like to be be tackled by th- by huge huge <laughs> defensive ends every day do you know what this feels like from a physical standpoint for me to endure this week after week what i have to do to get ready to even play let alone go out there and, and perform at a successful level because we really don't until we've been in that position we have no idea what that's like
2: and he's also for unfortunately for him he's uh, He's kind of the face of 15 and 65.
3: Which is unfortunate.
2: Yeah, because he deserves more.
3: 1 and 15.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then he goes 1 and 15. He endures that beating. And then they draft Bradford and cut him. (laughs) Jeez. So, yeah, it was not great. Uh, Not great for him. Let's touch on the Blues here. And hopefully we can catch Mark a little bit later. Uh, So hopefully we'll get to... uh, Mark here in just a few minutes. But let's touch on the Blues last night. Dakota Joshua coming up with his first NHL goal. The Blues had the big lead 4-1. And that's one of the things, Michelle, that they've got to get better at is suppressing goals against. Because that's ultimately it is how they're going to win. When you have Zach Sanford scoring a couple of goals, when you have Dakota Joshua scoring, when you have Scandella scoring two the other night... That isn't sustainable. What is sustainable is playing defense within a system and winning three to two and two to one, rather than seven to six and five to four.
3: You don't think having an, our surprising members of the team popping up to score goals is sustainable, Randy?
2: <laughs> no, I, I I used to think that. I used to dream that. I used to hope that, but not anymore. It's just something. W- Well, it's not what the Blues are. Even at their best, with everybody healthy, that's not who the Blues are. The Blues are built to play defense, and they know, even with their guys, they aren't a team that has uh, Backstrom and Ovechkin and Oshie, and they don't have Malkin and Crosby. They aren't a team that's going to score four or five goals on a regular basis with the talent that they have, their talent. His forechecking, maintaining puck possession in the offensive zone, winning faceoffs, Jordan Biddington playing great, and their defenseman playing well, and... It's almost impossible to have that happen now.
3: I do hope we see a little bit more of what we saw out of Dakota Joshua last night. The goal that he created, just being in the right place at the right time, getting in front of the net, getting your body there, getting a lucky bounce. That's something that the Blues have been lacking. And maybe Dakota Joshua is the guy that can step up and provide that for them.
2: He's got some size and he's a guy that he's 6'2", 200 pounds. He's a guy that showed last night in his first game as a member of the Blues and his first game in the NHL, he showed that he's fearless in going to the front of the net. And not that other guys do have fear, but you have to have that combination of size and grit and toughness, and you have to want the puck to hit you. And he's one of those guys, and it wasn't just the goal. It's just the way that he plays the game, that he, he plays without any fear and doesn't mind the puck hitting him. And I think that'll benefit the Blues if he's around because I think that sort of attitude permeates to other guys on the team.
3: Sure, For sure. And it's good to know that if he's playing that way in his very first game with a lack of fear, that it's something that could potentially grow.
2: Yeah, and he's regarded as a third- or fourth-line guy, which is fine. That's what the Blues need. They, As we mentioned earlier, they've got a top six they've got when they get Tarasenko back, O'Reilly, Perron, Kairou, Shen, uh, Tarasenko, Hoffman. And then even beyond that, with Sunquist being healthy now, Blay, Sanford, what you need is fourth-line production. And why did the Blues win the Stanley Cup? Because they were getting great work out of Steen, Sunquist, and Barbashev. And now you don't have... Steen, You don't have Barbashev, so you need people to step up on that fourth line. And Sonny isn't on that fourth line anymore. So it's a great opportunity for guys like him and the other people that have been brought up. Austin Pagansky, mm-hmm. Nathan Walker. These guys are getting opportunities that are rare in the NHL when you lose half your forwards. When a team loses literally half of its forwards, opportunities are going
3: to arise. If If you would have told us at the beginning of the season that the Blues were going to lose this many players to injuries, and you were going to give us the names of the players that were going to be out for injuries. But but you would say, but they'll still be second in points in their mm-hmm. division, and they were coming off the two wins that they did. We would be shocked. I would have thought, no way, dead in the water.
2: I would have too. And they're going to need to bank victories because while they are second in points, they're fourth in winning percentage in the division, and they have enough talent to bank points. They're going to play Vegas coming up in a little while, but the schedule... They're playing teams that even with the injuries, they should be able to compete with and win more often than not. Are they going to have a winning percentage of 750? No, they aren't. But as we sit here in early March, you've got the Kings coming up for a pair. You've got another game at San Jose next Monday. Then you have a couple against Vegas here. But then you're back to the Kings and the Sharks again. They haven't seen Minnesota yet. They'll see a lot of Minnesota down the stretch. But... This month, in terms of days off and in terms of the schedule, is actually pretty—not easy. Mm -hmm. It's better for the Blues than it could have been.
3: Yeah. They're dealt a a pretty winnable hand. Yeah. I also wonder what the return of Vladimir Tarasenko is going to do for this team if— it provides them another spark of energy, an an infusion of energy. I wonder what he's going to look like if he doesn't come out and look like Vladimir Tarasenko in the first couple games. What's that going to be like? I think it it provides a different wrinkle moving forward. The
2: thing about Vladdy, and like you say, we don't know how healthy he is, how healthy he's going to be, but he's been a guy that has been able to go one-on-five against the opposition and score goals in the past. He's a guy that can literally score by himself, and that's one aspect of the game that the Blues don't have without him. He can put a team on his back. And that's why I go to the 2-1 and the 3-2 games, because if you have a 2-2 game in the third period, he's a guy that can go one on five and score a goal for you. And nobody else, especially with Pareko out, nobody else on the Blues is that sort of a player. And Kyrou actually had one of those goals earlier this season against Vegas where he went one on two and uh, faked out Alex Petrangelo. But you don't expect him to do it on a regular basis. Vladdy is 220 pounds. Vladdy can skate through a team. So I think that's what it'll bring from a physical standpoint. And I think your point is more salient, Michelle. From an emotional standpoint, that's just a lift. That, okay, this is a guy that if we are in that 2-2 game, we can count on him to score that goal. Hopefully. Yeah. That, that, but they're going to think that. If, yeah. Even if it... Early on, even if it's not reality, perception is going to be more important than reality early on.
3: he They're going to use a, a different reference point than yeah. we will. We're going to think about the bubble. They're going to think of all-star Vladimir Tarasenko, a guy who is capable of doing things like that. Yeah.
2: We're going to try to track down Mark Bulger, and hopefully we'll be able to get him at 9.15. But coming up, the Cardinals have their plan for the 2021 Cardinal Hall of Fame out there's going to be five players to vote on and only one's going to be elected who would you vote for that's next on 101 espn
1: we are right back to the Character and smallman podcast on 101 espn <laughs> It is
2: 9.01 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker with you, and the St. Louis Cardinals will play Miami today down in Jupiter. The Cardinals also announced yesterday their five candidates for the 2021 Cardinal Hall of Fame. The class... Uh, that it has the potential to be elected includes Steve Carlton, Keith Hernandez, Matt Morris, Edgar Renteria, and Lee Smith. And only one player, the player who receives the most votes, will be elected and inducted this year because last year's class didn't get inducted. So they don't want to have an eight-person or a seven-person group that goes into the Hall of Fame in one year. So this will prevent a four-hour or five-hour ceremony.
3: Even though all of these guys on this list are worthy. No doubt. Should I reveal who I chose, Randy? Yeah, that'll be good. Okay, cool. Well, I chose, and like I said, all these guys are worthy. I read a lot about all of them last night, but I kept coming back to one name, and that's Steve Carlton. He was a three-time All-Star with the Cardinals World Series champion. He was with the team from 1965 to 1971. 77-62 was his record, 3.10 ERA. He had 66 complete games and 16 shutouts. He was absolutely dominant with the team, and I wonder what it would have been like If he and Gussie Bush never had that dispute over what ended up being a $10,000, I know it was um, different monetarily. The money represented more than $10,000 and what it does now. But if he never went to the Phillies, I wonder what his Cardinal career would have looked like.
2: And Lefty's son lives here in St. Louis. He went on to have, obviously, a Hall of Fame career with the Phillies. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't be more correct because not only was it him leaving St. Louis, but going to Philadelphia where he dominated the Cardinals for years. He it was like he got mad at the Cardinals, which probably wasn't a bad thing but, uh, <laughs> on his part. But let me go back. I'll tell you what he did against the Cardinals. And while I'm looking this up, I will tell you that I would go with Keith Hernandez because I thought, I still think that Keith Hernandez, because of the way he left here is kind of a, an underrated player in Cardinal history. He was a great hitter in the seventies. He won the 1979 MVP. He and Willie Stargell shared it and, if he would have stayed here he would already be a cardinal hall of famer if he wouldn't have had the personal issues that he ran into but he was the fulcrum he was the number three hitter on that 1982 world championship team he was really the best pure hitter that team had and he was the best defensive first baseman in the history of the game and became that as a member of the Cardinals. so i would go with keith hernandez and I'll tell you what, if you go with Matt Morris, you go with Edgar Renteria, you go with uh, Lee Smith, you can't, like you said, you can't argue with any of those because... They were all fantastic players who would have been premier players for any other franchise in baseball.
3: Yeah, Cardinals fans are winning regardless of who gets elected here. All of these guys are more than worthy. How about this one from the 615, Randy? I have to cast my vote for Matty Moe. It's a tough call between he and Hernandez. Renteria had a lot of success as a Cardinal, but I don't feel he wore the birds on the bat long enough to be considered.
2: Uh, Well, the rules are three years. Three years. And everybody can make their own judgment here. But I think Matty Moe was underrated, and I don't disagree with that at all. By the way, Michelle, Steve Carlton against the Cardinals, mm-hmm. 38 wins, 14 losses, Ooh. a 2.98 ERA. Uh, he had 345 strikeouts in 453 innings, but 38 and 14, and the only teams he won more games against, and obviously he pitched five years for the Cardinals, so he didn't have as much time to pitch against them. He won 41 against the Cubs, 39 against the Pirates in the same division. So he he was a cardinal killer.
3: <laughs> Sounds like he was mad. You're right, Randy. Um, here's one from the 260. I got to go with Matty Moe. Matt Morris was the guy before Carp and Wayno.
2: I like that. And he was. He was uh he was actually here before Daryl Kyle, too. And when things were not going great in 90 Seven ninety-eight, ninety-nine. He was their horse. He was their number one guy, 20-game winner. He was a, a really good call. Let's get a mic drop, shall we? And this is from Steve joining us on 101
1: ESPN. Hey, guys. Hands down, Keith Hernandez should be voted in uh, to the class of 2021 Cardinals Hall of Fame. He was an integral part of the Cardinals from the late 70s into the early 80s and a key to us winning a World Series. Steve Carlton was great, but he did not come into dominance till after he left the Cardinals. Thanks. It's,
2: it's amazing. I, I would respectfully disagree. I don't think he became a Hall of Fame quality pitcher until he left here when he put up the numbers, but I thought that he was pretty dominant with the Cardinals. And I do think if you would have had him for... The period of time that Bob Gibson was still really good, if you would have added Steve Carlton to that mix, it would have been an outrageous one too. It would have been the best, maybe the best one-two, well, I'm not going to say the best, but one of the best one-twos in the history of the game.
3: What other one-twos do you put in that conversation?
2: At the time that they were going great, Schilling and Johnson, I think you put those two up there. Koufax and Drysdale were amazing together. So there have been several others, but... I mean, Carlton, arguably the best left-hander. He or Warren Spahn. And then Gibson retired with the most strikeouts uh, after uh, Walter Johnson. So uh, I think that nobody could disagree. If you give me Carlton and Gibson... I'll I'll give you whoever you want, and I'll say I'll take my chances.
3: <laughs> right. You'll you'll go against the field there. From the 314, this is a tough lineup to choose from, but it's hard to argue against a world champion that won six straight gold gloves that hit 300 over 10 years. Yeah,
2: pretty, pretty good. That's Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez. I think we get another uh, mic drop that agrees with that.
4: Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Michelle. For your Hall of Fame question, I think uh, Keith Hernandez has to be the no-brainer. We spend our time debating back and forth why Yachty deserves to be in the Hall of Fame due to his defensive prowess. For us to not recognize that, and uh, Mr. Hernandez is is ridiculous. Um, He's by far the best to ever play the game at first base, and and I think uh, we need to put him in there.
2: The thing that made him great, number one, the things that made him great, he was aggressive, he was left-handed, which is a big thing, and he found ways to cheat the system. Like, he would hold a runner with his foot. In foul territory. He'd have his right foot on the bag and his left foot in foul territory. And managers never called him on it until late. I think it was actually Whitey that called him on it late in his career. Really? Yeah, when he was with the Mets. But you're not supposed to have a part of your body in foul territory when you're playing defense. And he did because it made it easier to apply that tag for a guy that was leading off.
3: I'm surprised no one ever made a fuss about that. It's
2: kind of amazing.
3: Yeah, it really is. Uh, from the 618, this is interesting. I want to get your take on it. If I hear a player's name and I don't immediately think St. Louis Cardinal, I don't think they should be in Steve Carlton is great but not a great Cardinal
2: I would agree with that if you're in another city but people remember him fondly here and pitching well and pitching in a World Series for World Series champion for the Cardinals definitely if you're in Chicago you look at Steve Carlton as a Philly if you're in Pittsburgh you look at Steve Carlton as a Philly but you could also make the case as you did Michelle very soundly that of this group of great players that he was as good as any of those he's Matt Morris 101 games with the Cardinals and Steve Carlton what was what was his number he won 70, seven, 77 if you tell me that I can have the Cardinals Steve Carlton or the Cardinals Matt Morris today the, the guy that pitched for the Cardinals Steve Carlton or Matt Morris today I'm taking Steve Carlton And I'm taking him over a lot of guys.
3: Also, don't you think when you win a World Series with a team, even if you go on to have great success elsewhere, that you're forever ingrained with that franchise?
2: Yep. That's one of the reasons that I have Hernandez. Not only won a World Series, but a big part of a World Series team. Let's get another mic drop. David joins us on 101 ESPN.
4: I can't think of Cardinal baseball and not think of Keith Hernandez. The drugs make me hesitate, and I'm sure that's why he's taken so long to get in. But he's a Cardinal Hall of Famer. I also can't think of Cardinal Baseball without Matty Moe. So I hope he gets on at some point.
2: The, I, I don't have as much of an issue because that in the mid-80s, that was the thing. And it's kind of like we talk about steroids and 80% or whatever the percentage was of players using performance enhancers. And oh, by the way, Mark McGuire is in the Cardinal Hall of Fame. But that was just part of and parcel of baseball in that era not just here but throughout baseball it was an issue it was a problem it wasn't legal but it was a problem that baseball endured and he was part of the problem with
3: baseball then yeah i don't want to diminish the drug stuff in any way shape or form but we are all human and we Mm -hmm. all err and we all have flaws And I do think even if you take the drug stuff out of the equation, he was an incredible baseball player. And that's what we're talking about here is what these people contributed from a baseball standpoint to the organization. And he certainly, from a baseball perspective, is worthy to wear the red, red jacket.
2: Your input has been great. Thank you so much for joining us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Jordan Hicks is back for the Cardinals. When will he be the closer and how dominant can he be? That's next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Michelle, I thought one of the amazing things about last year's Cardinals was after Jordan Hicks opted out, that their bullpen, especially the back end of the bullpen, performed as well as it did. Mm-hmm. With Without Hicks there, they got a lot of production out of a lot of guys.
3: They have quite the group in the bullpen. Yeah, they were stellar for the Cardinals last year. And and you're right. You think that you will lose a talent, an electric talent like Jordan Hicks, that there will be some regression. But the Cardinals bullpen didn't lose a beat.
2: And you had to go down the list. They only had 13 saves in their 60 games, but they also only finished two games over and they weren't blowing saves all year long, but now Jordan Hicks is back. And the question yesterday was, are you feeling fully
5: healthy? Yeah, I feel healthy. If I didn't, I probably wouldn't be throwing live BP. So I think we're in a good spot
2: through live BP yesterday against some Juco hitters. And, He's coming off of Tommy John, hasn't pitched since June of 2019, soon after the Blues won the Stanley Cup. So does Hixie plan on being on that opening day roster?
5: Uh, I do plan
2: on competing for an opening day spot, yes there's no reason for him to not be on the opening day roster, is there?
3: But did you like how he worded that? I do plan on competing for a spot, yes. (laughs) He doesn't want to put anything in stone. But I do think that this is a big step in his comeback, getting back out there, throwing live BP. While it might seem like a small step, it's, it's one more step closer to him actually being out there and being active.
2: And he opted out last year because of diabetes. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was coming off of Tommy John. Right. He was just... I'm Jordan Nixon, and, and I've got diabetes. So he came back. What? Why are you laughing?
3: I'm not. <laughs> Type 1 diabetes is absolutely nothing to laugh at.
2: No, but he he recognized that last year and decided that uh, it would be best for him to stay away.
5: I'd like to really just focus on 2021. So to be honest, 2020 is in the past, and I feel really good at where I'm at in my
2: recovery. And 2021 is going to be a good season for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. So even though you don't want to talk about the past, when's the last time you faced a hitter?
5: Before today, uh, last time I threw to a hitter was November, I think, for a live BP, but I didn't have cleats on and it was indoor against uh, pretty sure like a juco or college guy. So felt good to be out there today and, and uh, get back to it.
2: Can you imagine being a juco or college guy and yeah. facing that 104 mile an hour sinker?
3: And by facing a batter, you mean they stood there? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You threw near them and they stood there? Because I would imagine most of those guys have no shot in that scenario.
2: Do you have any concerns about him? My my only concern, Michelle, would be whether or not he can pitch in quantity. I have no concerns about the quality, but can he go three times in a week?
3: Yeah, I do have some concerns, and it's not about the talent or the health. It's just about getting back into that rhythm. I think the Cardinals are going to be careful with him, and I completely understand why he's a very valuable commodity, and they don't want to rush him back, but it has been a really long time since he's been in that scenario. And you can, as we learned with the Cardinals last year when they were quarantined, I know this is a, d- a different deal here, but you can try to simulate as much as you want, whether it's throwing into a mattress or throwing outside in your yard or throwing with without cleats to a juco hitter but in a real game scenario you can't really manufacture that and so I hope that they are careful with him and I hope that he he takes his time easing back in
2: and there are plenty of options obviously because not only do you have him but 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 you have guy Ryan Helsley could close if need be You have Andrew Miller down there. You have either Carlos Martinez or more likely Reyes. You have plenty of people that are capable of doing the job for you in the ninth inning.
3: Doesn't this go back to what we said at the very beginning of this conversation, that even with Jordan Hicks out last season, there was enough talent in that bullpen to make them absolutely successful so i would definitely lean on those guys and not put too much on jordan hicks right away
2: that's michelle smallman i'm randy Carricker, and we go now to the brown and crouppen celebrity line and the former st louis rams quarterback had a great career here mark bulger who is now pursuing a shot at curling in the olympics next year is with us mark it's been a long time i think the last time i talked to you was when isaac had the game at the dome how you doing
5: Great, Randy. How are you? Uh, yeah, that was that was a fun event. And, uh, yeah, I miss St. Louis.
3: Mark, take us through this journey. How did you go from being an NFL quarterback to now being on a curling team?
5: Oh, gosh, I'll try to keep it <laughs> short. Uh, my, I moved to Nashville uh, with my wife and my, my two girls. And Jared Allen, he played with Minnesota and Chicago and some other teams. He called me one day and said he wanted to be an Olympian. And, uh he said badminton we're trying to look for the easiest way in and then after one week of watching badminton i said there's no way we can do that <laughs> and he goes okay give me a week and he, he found curling and unfortunately the, our team won the uh or fortunately i guess we won the gold medal that year and uh so we we actually trained for the last two years but this year was has been a little bit different we've been going to minnesota the olympic facility a bunch to train but uh uh, it's put a little things on hold, but I'm actually opening a curling facility, which I'm on site now in Nashville, so it'll be fun. That's great. Curling and bowling, right? Yeah, curling, bowling in a restaurant. Uh, it's such a fun sport. I think that, uh, you know, not just males, but females. And, you know, I took my wife for the first time curling a year and a half ago, and she was hesitant, but uh, she did it because she's actually, that was fun. So uh, I think it's going to be fun, uh, especially. In this town, it's 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 booming right now, and um, I don't know. It's something different than, I guess, axe throwing.
2: <laughs> hey, Mark, what intimidated you about uh, badminton? Why why did you say no way?
5: Oh God, <laughs> because I watched too many videos, and I told Jared's wife, Amy. I said, I'm I'm gonna blow my knee out or get hurt within uh, two days if if we do that. These guys are so they're they're a lot smaller than us and, and quicker, and uh, I think we have a better chance of something else so so he got on it and we uh we went all in
3: (laughs) well mark this is a group of professional athletes you and your teammates but obviously curling a different sport using different muscles is a different skill set so what's been the biggest physical challenge for you as you adopted curling
5: yeah it's uh it's easier for us because we're not afraid to fall and we have many times and we've seen people that they're a little intimidated with the ice because it is 45 yards long. That's what people don't realize. Uh, But we don't mind falling and and being embarrassed. But uh, it's just the worst part about it is when you're playing a guy who, you know, uh, let's just say not a professional athlete and comes out and kicks your butt and you kind of get mad because we're so competitive. And, you know, this guy just rolled in from doing whatever and his gut's hanging over his belt and kicked your butt. And I'm like, come on, you you gotta be kidding me. And But that's curling. But everyone has a, uh, it's real respectful. It's, it's similar to golf.
3: So everyone's respectful. Did the curling community welcome you guys? Because I imagine if these are people that had been doing this their entire lives and here comes a group of NFL players thinking that they can hop into the sport. I know if I had been doing it forever, I would might take a little offense to that and think it's not so easy.
5: No, I, you're, you're spot on. Uh, when we first got in, uh, uh, let's just say Jared Allen, you know, he's a good friend and, and teammate and he, he, he's not afraid to uh, speak his mind. And, uh, so we played against the Olympic team a couple of times, uh, Matt Hamilton and the rest of the crew. And, but they, they, they were, uh, just because everyone thinks, uh, I, I guess like any sport or profession, you know, being on the radio, it's, it's not as easy as it seems. And, uh, we respected their traditions, and uh, they, they were happy because we brought a lot of exposure to them. And um, and, and curling's not as easy as it looks, uh, believe it or not.
3: Mark, can you give us an example of what a typical line of trash talk would be in a curling match?
5: So most people ask if I'm the sweeper, or if I'm the you know if i throw the stone or from the stick guard if I'm yelling everyone gets two stones that's what we call them in curling on each sheet so it's two 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 because you have teams of four uh and people like to compare it to uh shuffleboard but it's more like uh closest to the pin in golf uh because shuffleboard you want to get towards the end line and in curling you want to get it's called the house and the pin is the very middle so just Think of it like golf, and it's closest to the pin, and um, there's a lot of other rules, but uh, it, it was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of uh, learning experiences and, and being humbled, uh, learning how to curl. Mark
2: Bulger with us on 101 ESPN. So are you the sweeper?
5: We all take turns. I got it. The, the, yeah, the skip, he calls the shot, and whoever's throwing them, the two sweepers, and when you sweep, it actually makes it go faster. Uh, whoever's on the other end um, can turn the, the stone certain ways, and it's it's so much jargon. Randy, I'm telling you, it, it's <laughs> it was, it was really frustrating. Some days I just want to go out in the parking lot and throw a football again and say, okay, I'm not that bad.
2: <laughs> I, I was wondering, because you were one of the most accurate pastors any of us have ever seen, is there anything that you can take from quarterbacking into this endeavor?
5: Yeah, I try to, but uh Mike Roos is another teammate and Keith Bollock, he was a linebacker. Um so it, I was always the quarterback, so it's it's difficult. Um your skip is your quarterback telling you where to put the ball and or the stone. Uh if an intern, you know, goes right to left and an out turn goes left to right and curling for some reason it makes no sense to me. But so they make these calls and I, I just wanna um uh, be in quarterback mode and they said, Hey, I'm an offensive lineman, a defense lineman, a linebacker. You're not the quarterback anymore. So that was my uh, hardest learning curve was not uh, being in charge, I guess, of calling the plays anymore.
2: I I would think so. Hey, let's talk about what you've been doing because you're kind of a renaissance man. I figured after your career that you'd be able to go play golf and you'd be happy. But you've done some farming. I know your foundation does a lot of things. And obviously the USO here in St. Louis is thankful still to you for the facility they have at the at the airport. And now doing this, you, you seem to have a lot of interests.
5: That's just my mind. I wish it would shut off sometimes, but, uh, yeah, this curling and bowling and restaurant, will, it'll be great. Uh, you know, obviously my, my foundation, uh, is really important to me. I, I added children's, um, cancer and we're building a, not just me, but a lot of people in West Virginia, a, a whole floor for kids, uh, with life threatening, uh, cancers. And yeah, the farming, that's pretty steady. It's, just, I don't know. I, growing up in Pittsburgh, there must be something in the water you just got to keep going yeah that's awesome have you been out
2: and obviously nashville like you said is exploding and it's exploding from a golf standpoint too do you still get to play much golf
5: uh as much as i can um obviously this year is just a you know anomaly with i I think with everybody uh you know we got i got a small business in florida so when we get down to florida I, i can play here and there but uh my two girls keep me; they keep me pretty busy. I'll tell you that much. Uh, good. Yeah, I can't believe they're ten and seven, but um, yeah, mostly it's family and the foundation and a couple other things. But uh, I do miss St. Louis. Uh, still have a lot of good friends there, and uh, need to get back there more.
3: Mark, a lot of people here in St. Louis are cheering for you, and they're going to follow you along this path. They know that the Olympics are the end goal, but what is the the next steps? What if fans are following along? What are the next steps that need to be taken to you guys ultimately getting to the Olympics?
5: Yeah, you have to. It, it's similar to the FedEx Cup, or however you want to uh, do it. You know, with with uh, NASCAR racing, you, you have to get so many points. Um, it's just tough right now because so many states have different rules. Um, and usually we train in Minnesota and Wisconsin and South Dakota. And if you can't go get those points, it's, it's a little difficult. And then, um, the Olympics are obviously in Beijing. So uh, we're, we're kind of in limbo right now. And that's, you know, a year and a half ago, I decided, Hey, let's just do it here. And, And regardless, if it doesn't work out, I'm bringing curling to Nashville and, uh, I think people here are pretty excited about it and I'll be curling no matter what, but, I, we, we hope the Olympics still, but uh, you tell me—it's huh? anyone's guess. It's
2: it's awesome. Just one more thing, and we want to ask you about Tom Brady too. But I want to, I want to find out from you because of the pandemic. Has that held you back? Uh, obviously, the more experienced teams—they have been doing it for a long time, their entire lives. They know what they're doing. Have you guys had the opportunity to still ascend during the course of the last calendar year?
5: No, to be honest, it's because um, when we curl here in Nashville, it's it's called the Ford Ice Center. And it's it's more of a hockey, and the the place I'm developing right now is dedicated ice, so there's no ice skating on it. It's it's a big difference. Um, so we used to go to Blaine, Minnesota, just north of Minneapolis, and it's just been with travel we we haven't been able to. So I would definitely say it it's put us back a little bit. So I'm not gonna. overestimate where we're at right now but yeah these guys who you know it's if you've been golfing for 30 years versus an amateur like us that's been curling for two years uh it's going to be pretty tough for us
2: Hey, a couple more quick things for Mark Bulger, former Rams quarterback. People aren't aware of it. I wasn't aware of it until a few years ago that you played games with a broken leg here in St. Louis and uh, we as fans were relentless and, and as it turns out unfairly relentless on you. Man, you were
5: you were beat up when you
2: were playing, weren't you?
5: <laughs> yeah, I I I played uh yeah, I remember going in, my knee was really banged up after a Saints game 2 weeks later I got an MRI and Dr. Matava at the time said, "Yeah, get this, check your knee out. He goes, good news. Your knee's fine. He goes, but we found your legs been broken for a couple of weeks. I said, Ooh, <clears throat> so that ended that season. You know, I played with four broken ribs multiple times. Uh, not fun, but the whole thing in the NFL, you really, you know, you can't tell your coaches and you can't tell the staff because there, there, there's certain rules in the NFL, but, uh, most importantly for my own uh, well-being is I didn't want the other team to know that I had four broken ribs. But, uh, you know, my wife had to push me out of bed a lot of mornings. I could barely get out with with broken ribs. But, uh, hey. I'm not complaining like my, my kids got a good life and uh you know I love St. Louis and I got a lot of good friends from it.
2: So uh, I just wonder if you ever took that personally because even though if, if you aren't reading the paper if you aren't listening to the radio you still know what people are saying and you, you can't say anything about it like you said so when people are ripping your performance do you take it personally?
5: Of course that's me <laughs> <laughs> but you know how it is when you're in the locker room um you're getting asked questions. You know, Randy, you were in there a bunch and you know, Jim Thomas and Bernie, all those guys, you know, you know what everyone's talking about, even though if I didn't read it, I knew what they were asking. And at the same time, I want to say, Hey, I'm trying my best. I'm playing with a broken leg or four broken ribs or my AC's blowing blown out and I broke 32, 33 bones in my career. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, but that's, you can't complain. You know, it, it's, it's the NFL is a little bit different and that's why I love to why i played football and uh you know my sisters had great basketball careers because we were always tough on each other and uh you know i i have no regrets and i I don't have any hard feelings but at the time yes you know it, it does bug you a little bit
3: you know mark we're seeing quarterbacks take a different approach than you and some of your peers did from that perspective russell wilson right now is being pretty vocal about what he's dealing with in seattle he says he's being sacked too much and that he wants to either get more protection or potentially move on. And you're obviously someone that we think about when we think about someone that endured some some big hits pretty consistently. So when you hear a quarterback being vocal about taking a beating like that, game in and game out, and saying, if, if things don't change, I want to move on, what's your reaction to it?
5: Uh, it? It's mixed. I mean, Russell's a great player. He's played way better than I ever was. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys... They're in the shotgun now. I was taking seven step, five-step drops every play. Um, and you get hit, and I, and I know it was more violent when I played. That doesn't make it right. It just was. But I know the one thing for me was I wouldn't have made it if I wasn't tougher than most guys because a lot of guys could throw farther than me. Uh, and were more athletic, but I could throw the ball where I wanted, and I could take a hit and not complain. So I uh, – again – it's mixed emotions when it comes to that. I mean, you have a decision, play football or don't play football. But when people who don't play the game try to make the rules, and I'm not saying Russell, just they want to make it real soft, I that's that's not me. That's, it, it actually helped my career.
2: Hey, one last thing. As you know, you are part of the chip on Tom Brady's shoulder. You're drafted number 168 overall in 2000. He's drafted number 199. You have a really good career and retired ten years ago, so what was it like watching him do what he did with Tampa Bay this year?
5: He was amazing um you know i I don't know if the story's up there, but yeah, I was pretty much uh his partner at the combine because they went alph- alphabetically, so obviously b u and b r so we went through, and we both had chips on our shoulder at the combine saying, "Why are these guys getting drafted ahead of us um and we didn't understand it. He ran a five-two, five-three at the combine. I wasn't much better, uh, and so I I get exactly what he's saying. I felt the same same way. Uh, you know, I don't like to call out the guys that went ahead of him or me because it's not their fault. But uh, I I admire Tom. Uh, I've always got along with him, and it, it's amazing what he's doing right now.
2: Especially because we've seen the combine photo. Uh, would you have ever thought with the other things that you saw at the combine besides just his physical, his, his physique, would you have ever dreamed that he would, uh, nobody's ever going to play to 43, but would you have thought that he would have played for 15 years in the NFL and done great?
5: I mean, thank God they don't put my picture from the combine out there. It'd probably be way worse. than it is. So I say yes, uh, because you know, it, I'm telling you, uh, some people take it the wrong way, but that ship on your shoulder, uh, I would say 95% of the guys in the NFL have it because most guys in the NFL uh, grew up with nothing, and that's what makes football different from most sports. Uh, that's why I love it. And people always ask if you would let, if you had a son, would you let them play football? And I would say 100%. I learned teamwork, leadership, toughness, and again, it's volunteer. You don't have to play if you don't want. Hey,
2: Mark, it's great to hear your voice, and I'm so excited about what you're doing. And we're going to keep up with you because we know that you're going to be battling for that spot. It would be so cool to have you guys land in Beijing.
5: It would be. And, hey, next time you guys both come down, I'm going to teach you guys how to curl. And if you don't want to curl, you just bowl. It's called T-line. So you guys come down, and I'm telling you, it's pretty easy. It's a tap shoe with your left foot if you're right-handed.
2: It's a guarantee we'll be there because at some point when this is all over, we're going to be with the blues there and it'll be a weekend and we'll absolutely stop by T line and we'll say hi.
5: Anytime. That would be great. All right.
2: Hey, Mark, great to hear you. Thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. See you later. That is Mark Bulger with us on one oh one ESPN. I never did hear that, that uh, he and Brady were combine buddies.
3: No, I didn't either. And I, I thought that was so funny when he said, I'm glad they're not showing my combine photo right. from that time either. But if you went back to that moment and you told Mark Bolger, your combine partner is going to be the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL, I bet he would have said, no, he's not. I am because as he was mm-hmm. saying, everyone has a chip on their shoulder in that moment. Everybody thinks that they're going to be the greatest. But it is really interesting to think back to that picture of tom brady and in that moment so many people overlooking him and what he turned out to be
2: and there are and i i don't want to cast aspersions here but a lot of times when people are playing bad in any sport we get the question or the complaint hey why don't you guys hold these guys more accountable they're they're getting paid a lot of money and they aren't doing what they're supposed to do so he's playing with a broken leg Mm -hmm. he's playing with four broken ribs he's Got his elbow all torn up, his shoulder. And I was one of the people, I I was one of the worst defenders because I had no idea how physically diminished he was. And like he said, we know what you guys are saying. And I think they respected the fact that at least we would show up in the locker room. Yeah, sure. And and after we ripped the guy. But that's why I'm really cautious when I ripped people's performance because I don't know what they're going through physically or mentally.
3: And sometimes we might be defending people because we do know certain things about what they're going through physically or mentally. But out of respect for that player, you can't reveal that. On the radio, right. you get information on someone and you can't come out and say, guess what I heard that someone's dealing with, because there there is a, a certain level of respect and privacy that you want to follow. But there are reasons that whether the team is defending a player or maybe certain media members are defending a player, oftentimes that might be informed opinions on mm-hmm. things that are happening.
2: And I want to give one more quick Mark Bulger anecdote before we go. Uh, This is while he was playing here. He's flying out of Lambert. And he's like he said, he's always cared about the military. That's what his foundation is all about. So he stops by and he's talking to a military person and they're doing a fundraiser to improve the USO facility at Lambert Field. And he says, well, how, how much do you guys need? And the guy said, well, like $100,000. They want to completely refurbish the entire thing. He said, well, I'll cover that. So on the spot, gave him $100,000 to refurbish the USO facility at Lambert Field. And that's because of Mark Bolger.
3: That's incredible. Yeah. What a generous person.
2: Yeah. And that was before he had the foundation that came out of his own pocket. All right. We've got a quick You're Killing Me Smalls as we head down the stretch. No crossover with Danny today. You're Killing Me Smalls is next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: And we have your Kill Me Smalls coming up in just a moment. Our thanks again to Mark Bulger for joining us. And if you do get down to Nashville, he'll open up his T line. Curling and bowling facility with a restaurant and bar, and that'll be opened. Uh, he, as a matter of fact, the reason he was late is because an inspector showed up <laughs> unexpectedly, so he had to be with the inspector. But we appreciate him. And if you didn't hear the Mark Bulger interview, you can hear it uh, via the 101ESPN app, or you can hear it at 101ESPN.com on our podcast anywhere. Your podcast brought to you by I Promise. And Michelle, we were talking during the break about how he in part because he's such a kind, gentle person, was misunderstood and miscast here in St. Louis.
3: Listening to him have a conversation with us, when I asked him about Russell Wilson and about taking hits and having a quarterback be vocal about taking hits and saying, if you're not going to protect me, I can't deal with this anymore. I want to move on. His response was, you chose to play this game. I, I always took pride in how tough I was and never complained and never wanted people to know everything that I was dealing with on a week in and week out basis and you have to respect somebody like that and I think that the biggest issue that Mark Bulger had is that he was not Kurt Warner yeah. he was just not never going to be Kurt Warner and it, that's an, sometimes follow, being the guy to follow the guy is a really really tough spot
2: and that text came through and From the 636. Randy, didn't you have season tickets when Bulger played? Yes, I did. We did and watched how much he got hit. We felt people were unfair to him. He was a great quarterback, but he followed a fan favorite. All 100% correct. Mm -hmm. The thing was, I didn't know that he was playing with a broken leg. I didn't know that he was playing with broken ribs. And neither did his coaches. Because, like he said, that's just, it's not against the rules in the NFL. But for him, Pittsburgh kid, Mm -hmm. that was against his football code,
3: And he also said he didn't want other teams to find out about it. But how great was that story? He very nonchalantly said he thought there was an issue with his knee. He went in the doctor said, (laughs) no, your knee's fine. But bad news, you have four four breaks in your body. That's a problem.
2: And by the way, uh, it it struck me as we were talking to him, and then you mentioned afterward, I really like him. Uh, His biggest influence as a quarterback was a guy that went to the same high school, Dan Marino.
3: That's why. I could tell. Two Pittsburgh guys. Yeah,
2: definitely. So, Central Catholic. All right, it's time for...
3: You're killing me, Smalls. Another day, Randy, another quarterback story. One of the guys that is out there potentially on the move, Dak Prescott, has had this little bit of information leak out. You know, that the Cowboys and Dak have been going back and forth for about two years now. And Dak's camp is saying that this is all about respect His side wants a proposal, monetarily, Randy, a salary proposal from the Cowboys that allegedly puts him right behind Patrick Mahomes. Jane Slater from the NFL Network was on the Dan Patrick Show yesterday and said Dak Prescott is looking to be paid right behind Patrick Mahomes, a guy who's gone to the Super Bowl two years in a row. The Cowboys feel like they've given Dak a respectable offer, but that Dak's side, a.k.a. his his agent, Todd France, feels that Dallas's cap problems with money aren't our problem. It's all about respect.
2: And I would tend, especially in the scenario where Jerry Jones is making more money than anybody else off of his NFL team, where his team is worth $5 billion, I I would tend to fall on the side of Dak Prescott here as well. It's not his fault that they've wasted so much cap money and he has, by his play, earned to the the right to be one of the top big quarterbacks in the league. And if he judges himself to be right below Patrick Mahomes, I don't. But if that's what he judges himself to be, then I believe that uh, that's what they should hold out for. And by the way, when he's played, they played pretty well. And when he hasn't, they haven't played very well. He seems to be kind of a linchpin for the Cowboys.
3: So the last offer that they had, the Cowboys had it at about $35 million a year, Prescott declined played under the franchise tag, 31.4 million. He could do the same this year and he would make 37.7 million and just to put that into perspective, Mahomes is making about 45 million dollars a year. So it's <laughs> relatively 10 million more per year. And I don't know if the if the Cowboys believe he's worth that. I don't know if Dak Prescott really is worthy of being the second highest paid quarterback in the league, but this is what the market dictates. This is how this works. How many quarterbacks get massive contracts that they may not 100% be worth because of the way that the market has developed and because being a franchise quarterback is the most important commodity in sports.
2: If Kirk Cousins did the Exact same thing, and he did, and he got the guaranteed money from Minnesota. Dak Prescott's contract will blow Kirk Cousins' contract out of the water. In 2019, when Dak was healthy, the Cowboys were sixth in the NFL in scoring. This past season, when he got hurt in the fifth game, they were first in the league in scoring. They finished 17th in the league in scoring. So that would lead me to believe that they probably finished somewhere in the 20s in scoring without Dak Prescott. They need him more than he needs them.
3: He's in a pretty good spot. Yeah. You're killing me, Smalls. I also love how I love when athletes or agents say it's all about respect, but the but the respect you're asking for is in the form of money. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's not about respect. It's about money.
2: Well, that's how you respect me is with, yeah, sure. with money. The, we want to be respected almost as much as Patrick Mahomes is respected by Kansas City. That's right. But more than <laughs> Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are respected by their teams. But can you... Uh, it's unbelievable to me that Jerry Jones and, and that group that 5 million dollars a year would be an issue for them.
3: Even if it was 10. Yeah, right. It's it's not. It's, it's it's just them digging in.
2: And it's their inability because they don't have professionals in their front office to handle the salary cap.
3: Well, and this is a self-inflicted problem with the Mm -hmm. Cowboys. They could have gotten this done years ago. They wanted to play hardball with Dak. And that's why I am so much more on his side because he has bet on himself multiple times and it's worked out for him and it's kind of amazing to me that the Cowboys would have a quarterback to the level of Dak Prescott so so many teams would take Dak Prescott and so many teams are praying that they draft the next Dak Mm -hmm. Prescott and it's really astounding that you have a guy like that in-house and if you're Jerry Jones the almighty Jerry Jones with the deepest pockets in in the NFL well maybe not now but that you would be squabbling over money when it comes to a franchise quarterback.
2: And I wonder if Prescott and his camp look at what the reality is, that even though Jerry Jones does try to win, he hasn't been to a Super Bowl since 1995. And maybe he thinks, I'll have a better opportunity to go to a Super Bowl if I get out of here and go somewhere else.
3: I also wonder if they're looking at... The rumors with russell wilson and they're thinking we would rather mortgage our draft capital to somehow bring russell wilson because it would be a big big splash it would be definitely a, a super bowl champion russell wilson than pay dak prescott
2: there's no doubt about that that star power is what they're all about they have a star on the side of their helmet that's true. It's all about star power
3: you're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, Mac Jones, we, uh, speaking of the NFL draft, Mac Jones, Alabama's quarterback, is one of the guys that people are paying attention to in this draft. That's what we do. We look we look at quarterbacks in the draft. But a lot of people talking about Trevor Lawrence or maybe Justin Fields, but Mac Jones in the mix, too. And his former teammate, our guy, Tuatunga Vailoa, was asked about about Mac Jones from the New York Post. And this is the quote he gave. I'll give, I'm will i going to give you two quotes. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the benign one and then the one that made headlines. Tua said about Mac Jones, he's a really great great person. A lot of the guys when I was playing at Alabama, they really love being around his personality and who he was. I'm thinking whatever team gets him, they're going to be very lucky. He's a great player. Then here, here's the other quote. I would say he's a sly kind of athletic person. He's a more mobile Tom Brady.
2: <laughs> That's an interesting comment.
3: And I know that Tua... Because when you put the, both of yeah. those quotes together, he's just trying to hype up his, yeah. his teammate. He's yeah, trying to right. hype up Mac Jones. He's doing what he can. Um, and I'm, I'm sure he's genuine in everything he say. But when you put his name in the same sentence as Next Tom, to Tom Brady, Brady, it's never gonna work out well. It's never gonna work out well. Instead of then just having you give a ringing endorsement for Mac Jones right. as to what type of a player he is and what type of a teammate he's going to be, now everyone's going to denigrate him in some way and say, No way, he's not ever gonna be Tom Brady. He's not gonna look like Tom Brady. So while his intentions were great, I,
2: I putting some pressure on him.
3: Too might have put a little bit too much pressure on old yeah. Mac Jones.
2: By the way, here's a fun fact with Tua. Remember the tank for Tua? And he did get taken it with yes, the fifth pick yes, in the draft? Of
3: course, I remember.
2: Tua, in his last year at Alabama, nine games, 71.4% completion rate, 2,800 yards, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions, 71.4, 2,800, 33 and three. Mac Jones, in his last game, mm-hmm. 13 games, four games more, 77.4, 6% higher completion rate, 4,500 yards which is uh, about 80 more per game, 41 touchdowns versus 33, four interceptions versus three. Mac Jones, and by the way, Tua had four future first-round draft choices during his season. Mac Jones had one with Devontae Smith because Waddle was out. Mac Jones had a better last year at Alabama than Tua did.
3: Well, that Steve Sarkeesian offense was throwing Mm -hmm. up some big numbers. Yep, big time. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy, finally, we had talked about Alex Smith and how he did the interview with GQ, and he talked about how he wasn't, he didn't feel like he was wanted in Washington. Mm-hmm. No one expected him to come back, and when he did, he didn't feel like they were really appreciative. Well, uh, Kim Jones is reporting that the Washington football team is expected to part ways with Alex McS- Smith in the coming days. He said he still wants to play. He's 36 years old, and it'll be interesting to see what the market is for Alex Smith, because even though he, he did performed well this past season, I don't know how many teams are really going to feel comfortable taking a flyer on him based on the injury.
2: And the fact that he's 36 years old. Exactly. It'd be different if he was 26 and coming back from the injury. Yeah, I can't imagine that there's going to be much of a market, especially because since he's been pretty insistent that he wants to start. So it's But it's one of the great stories in NFL history that that he came back. And it's kind of a shame that they don't want to bring him back because he probably provides them their best opportunity to win games in 2021.
3: But what about Taylor Heineke, Randy? Kaka? Kaka.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. And thanks to you for tuning in. A great job today by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. And uh, Danny Mack, he's doing the Cardinal Game today, so his show is going to be live on tape coming up here on 101 ESPN. And we appre- appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis.
1: You've been listening to the character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Whether in person or remote, open communication with your doctor is key to managing any condition, including heart failure.
6: How have you been feeling? Um, I'm okay.
1: Both are great options to continue having open conversations with your doctor about how you're feeling.
6: I've had less energy.
1: And when you speak openly with your doctor, they're better equipped to help. Visit heartfailuretalks.com to learn more.